Had all of the people who authentically did not want to comply just simply acted on that authenticity and stood up and said no, which doesn't require belligerence, doesn't require hostility, doesn't require you to go stand outside your local government courthouse and say, hey, I don't like what you're doing to us. It just requires you to live an authentic life. None of this would have happened. I'm Alex Zek, and this is the Lifestylist Podcast. All right, start your engines. Here we go, my fellow freedom-loving homies and homets. We're back with another firestorm of an episode, this time with Alec Zek for number 476. And I'll go ahead and issue a standard trigger warning on this one because Alec shares some information here that might be very new to you. In fact, much of it was new to me. But as always, we're looking to stretch the envelope of our preconceived ideas and even, dare I say, in some cases, indoctrination, So I'll invite you to listen with an open mind, take what lands, and leave the rest for the contemplation of mystery. I personally find it to be a healthy practice to question my long-held assumptions, and I encourage you to do the same. But before we get down to the business of narrative nuking, I've got an important announcement for you. Please join me and Dr. Christian Northrup next Friday for our free webinar on real money. And by real money, I'm talking about OG gold and silver. As inflation soars around us by the moment and the dollar tanks in value, now is the time to learn how to diversify saving and investing. I mean, sure, we've got the crypto thing to explore, but to me, the most secure and most sure-footed currency at this moment are definitely precious metals. So tune in with me next Friday, June 2nd at 10 a.m. Pacific and join us live. You can register now at lukestory.com slash gold and silver. And here's what's up. Even if you can't make the event live, I will email you the replay afterward. Again, this is totally free for all who care to join us. And the link is lukestory.com slash gold and silver. All right, today's guest, Alex Zek, is a speaker, writer, mind-body-spirit coach, and a former Army captain. He's the executive director and founder of Health Freedom for Humanity, a nonprofit whose mission is to unite people from all walks of life under one common purpose, the reclamation and defense of health freedom. He's also the co-founder of The Way Forward, a grassroots movement focused on dissolving illusions and systemic conditioning while realigning mankind toward a path to freedom, health, and awareness. He's also just an awesome guy and a wonderful father and husband and someone who I now consider a friend. And here's what's about to go down for those of you that enjoy some foreshadowing. We spent the first hour or so catching up on what transpired over the past three years of medical tyranny and mass media deception and where things are headed in terms of humanity's fight for freedom. Then around the 120 mark, we get into the fascinating and very controversial world of germ versus terrain theory, wherein Alec makes a very strong case against the very existence of viruses, SARS-CoV-2 included, and how the field of virology as a whole has not and does not follow the scientific method. So I encourage you to hang in there with us as this back-and-forth conversation is chock-full of mind-bending, paradigm-shattering topics, such as, but not limited to, the following. When he figured out Convid was a hoax, and why he created the biggest media event in the history of alternative health movements with his upcoming project, The End of COVID, which you can access, by the way, at lukestory.com slash end of COVID. 
We also cover his extensive and really quite hilarious censorship journey and the great lengths he's gone to to get his message out despite being widely banned. The future of indie media, the myth of the government caring about our health, and why well-meaning people continue to be duped by false flags and psyops. Why Convid and other propaganda targets compassionate people like you and me. Fraudulent PCR tests, summarizing the germ versus terrain theories, debunking virology, origins of the germ theory of disease, and why even the best anti-vaxxers are misled by the fraudulence of virology, and why leading health freedom personalities like Del Bigtree, Robert F. Kennedy, and Robert Malone refuse to entertain conversations about virology with ALEC. How the lab leak theory and gain-of-function research could be yet another PSYOP. The mystery of how the flu magically disappeared during the Convid era. And of course, this information begs the question, what were people falling ill to or dying from if Convid wasn't the real cause? How to play along with the dualistic human experience of good versus evil without giving up or giving in. The folly of judging people who hold different views even if they're wrong. And finally, Alec offers a vision of hope for the future and how we can hold our heads high despite the struggles humanity faces. As you might have guessed from the topics I laid out there, we referenced a lot of different sources in this one, so make sure to check out the show notes and links at lukestory.com slash Alec. I mean, we cover some super far out stuff, and fortunately for us, Alec has receipts, man. He's got all of this research and data backed up and available, so we'll put as much as we can in the show notes at lukestory.com slash Alec, A-L-E-C. All right, y'all, the candles are lit and the table is set, so get ready to enter the fascinating world of Alex Zek. All right, so Alec, what was the first clue you had that Convid was a hoax? That's a tough one to answer because I was aware of the corruption of the pharmaceutical industry and would, like, was aware of government corruption to a certain level prior to the whole charade. So I was following a couple Reddit subs in December of 2019 that were talking about how there's this lab in, in Wuhan, China that they think a bioweapon escaped out of. And that was in 2019, right? Before Damn, you're an OG, picked, early dude, adopter. <laughs> <laughs> Early, but I was I was wrong on several fronts, which is what we'll get into during this. But I was, I'll say this. I made a video on February 29th, 2020. Um, and you can tell it's in February 29th, 2020, because I was still in the army, so clean shaven. And I look like I'm 10 years younger, so I've aged so much <laughs> in the last three years. Um, but I made a video saying that this was no doubt going to be used for mandatory shots for, for everyone. Like, I knew that back then. But what I thought was they had successfully created a bioweapon in a lab. And now I've come to form a completely different perspective on that. But I, I could see right through it from the beginning. I uh, remember being, I was living in LA at the time. And right when, God, I don't even like using the word lockdowns because that should have sounded the alarm on all of humanity. What do you mean oh, lockdown? Yeah. It's bad branding, you know, in the first place. But right when that happened, uh, my wife had moved in two or three days before that. Um, and, you know, we were friends for many years. And um, anyway, you know, as things happened, she moved in. It was great. Mm -hmm. And then that and then that went down. And 
you know, I'm, I don't watch CNN and whatever, but I'm, you know, I'm on the internet. I'm seeing videos from different news sources and I see these people just dropping like zombies in China. And so, you know, we were like, it's embarrassing now to think that I fell for the psyop even for that long, but we were, I don't know if I was wearing a mask really, but we would like disinfect our groceries when they were delivered and washing our hands and you know i'm kind of like yeah. what the fuck is going on here yeah. but then i started to see holes in it because of the apparatus of control that started to so aggressively be implemented mm -hmm. and it came with it and we'll talk about all of these uh because i feel like we're out of it but we're not really out of it because the powers that be are sort of just changing to climate change or yeah. whatever they're going to swap the catastrophe uh, to next. But it's like all of the things that were starting to be implemented were the things the conspiracy theorists were talking about 20, 25, 30 years ago, yeah. right? Like you're saying, okay, I started hearing about this lab and my foresight is that it, whatever's happening is going to be an excuse for forced if not coerced um fake vaccines for sure and so <laughs> you know I'm, I'm watching all this stuff roll out and i'm like this something's fishy with this yeah and so we just abandoned all of that and then i started doing deeper research and kind of in the in the gray to dark web uh realm and was like okay no i'm not having this and that was the first time i ever talked about anything uh remotely conspiratorial on the podcast because it wasn't it wasn't my lane like i'm talking about consciousness and plant medicines and meditation and breath work and biohacking and i don't have any business talking about this 2016 election like you know what i'm saying it's just like not my lane i'm not really interested in it yeah. either because i think it's all a giant psyop and totally fake anyway but then it came into my lane because we're talking about health now and there yeah. are measures being forced upon the populace against our will and I don't agree with that. And so I had, you know, I think Tom Cowan, who is a friend of yours, I believe, yep. someone you've interviewed as well. I had him on and then David Icke and um, Rashid Buttar and uh, all kinds of people that were very outspoken. I'd already had Del Bigtree on years before that talking about vaccines and stuff. Um, had, I can uh, say that on here openly. I just want to make sure. I think we can now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've said it on my, oddly enough, oddly enough, and we'll get, we'll get to this. The only episode I've ever had removed from Spotify for my show is when I was calling out how gain of function is a psyop. The only episode. That's interesting. That's telling. Interesting. So anyway, yeah. I'm just, I'm giving you a summary of kind of my initiation into this realm. And, um, you know, even, I even had, uh, very early on, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., mm -hmm who of course is now uh, you know, wanting to get the nomination to run for president, and, and all of these people on. And it's interesting to see there was a little bit of perceivable blowback from my audience who were like, well, who are you, Alex Jones all of a sudden? But I think what happened is it really catalyzed the people that are regular listeners of this show at least, because they're like, I got so much positive feedback. Dude, finally, someone who has a sizable platform is being honest about their perspective and not just hiding yeah. to avoid censorship. And I was censored. I had a, mostly on YouTube. I think Cowan's interview was taken down, oh, David Icke's interview. 
but as far as the audio, what I started to do to evade censorship was just not use the words, <laughs> the forbidden words, and find other ways to, you know, very obviously describe what it was that I was talking about. Yeah. But anyway, I feel like now, um, for the time being, not so much on social media, but on the podcast, yeah. I feel like I can be a little more, a little less laborious about trying to like yeah. cloak what I'm saying. Anyway. Enough about my journey. That was my journey. So you start to see this. What motivated you to start to speak out on your platforms and, yeah. and kind of become the guy now who I would consider to be like one of the forerunners in the health freedom movement and someone who's wildly outspoken? And I would say, and we'll talk about some of your various beliefs and opinions today that are going to be controversial to some yeah. people. I haven't heard you really say anything that doesn't make sense to me so far. <laughs> Even though some of the shit you're saying is going to be pretty far out to some people. So what what was the rest of the journey and, and your relationship to censorship and being deplatformed and all that early on? Yeah, it's interesting. And I feel like to some level, um, I was I was attracting the censorship into my life by focusing so heavily on it because without getting into too many details of my upbringing, I never really felt like I could truly be me. And I was always, always felt like I was walking on eggshells around my like authority figures, my parents. Right. And then that transitioned to being a West Point cadet and having to be worried about what that authority system thought of me to being an army officer. I was a captain in the army when this whole charade happened. And of course, was having to tiptoe around my thoughts of what was going on, especially around March or April of 2020 when I realized, okay, the whole bioweapon narrative that I had bought onto, despite also thinking that that bioweapon would be used for mandatory shots, right? I, I realized that was a psyop, um, but I was, I was speaking out very carefully to you know my my colleagues in the army but but doing it in such a way that i was really censoring what i really really thought about stuff right and at that point i had already had a religious accommodation for vaccines in the army um but i knew that i wanted to get out of the army before that i actually only intended to serve five years and after you graduate from west point you have to serve a minimum of five years on active duty but once this whole charade happened, that was like my final straw. Like, I need to get the F out. I'm, I'm done with this corrupt organization. Like, I knew I'd done my research on 9-11 and things like this. I knew the fraud that was the war on terror. And, um, and I justified in my mind staying in the army because, like, as long as I have a, a religious accommodation for shots and as long as X, Y, and Z, and as long as I don't work a combat job, I can justify staying a part of this corrupt organization. But then when this whole charade happened it was like really eating inside of me that I could no longer be a part of this. But that, that censorship of what I truly thought was still prevalent because I was in the army and I couldn't really share my thoughts. So sort of sitting back <laughs> you're, watching. You're, you're a government employee. It must be <laughs> difficult to be like, fuck the government. Dude, yeah, so, <laughs> it's so, like, uh, that's who you're working for. Dude. So it's funny you say that because um, I started using my platform to speak out on Instagram and on Facebook in May of 2020. And I was still a captain in the army at this time, right? So I had to censor my own speech in the way that I spoke out about things, knowing that I had at least 
11 months left in the army. I got out in April of 2021. So I had 11 months left in the army. I could see what was going on. I knew that I wanted no part of it. I knew I wanted to get the hell out. I knew that I had so much knowledge to share about the nature of the pharmaceutical industry and other things like this, because I had already done so much research starting in 2016, that I had to share it, but I had to do it in a very careful way. So that was a big point of censorship in my life. And then finally, when I got out of the army in April of 2021, I was able to speak very clearly to what was going on. But then what happened around that time, April 2021, right as I'm getting out of the army, this reporter contacts me from The Guardian. And I had just started my former organization, Health Freedom for Humanity. At the time, we exploded. Uh, There's so many people joining along with us. We had chapters all over the country. Um, And so we grew really quickly. And because we grew so quickly as an organization, a lot of mainstream news sources caught on to us. And so one was The Guardian. This reporter contacts me. He's like, Hi, Alec, this is your right to reply to the following article that I'm writing about you. You are a former army officer, XYZ things, your conspiracy theorist. And he said, former army officer. And I was not a former army officer. I was a current army officer. I'm like, thank God. He thinks I'm a former army officer. I'm good to go. And then a week later, I didn't respond. A week later, contacts me again. It's like, Alec, the article's coming out tomorrow. We have contacted the Army Public Affairs Office and confirmed that you are currently serving at, at the rank of captain on active duty. And I was like, my God. And I had this like fear of this authority coming down on me that I was already having to censor my speech for. And luckily I had had formed a good relationship with my commander. Um, And he was aware mostly of my thoughts on health and and the whole charade. He just didn't know that I was running what he called an anti-vaccine conspiracy theory organization (laughs) because he texted me once the army PAO contacted him and said, you have a soldier running an anti-vaccine conspiracy theory organization. He texted me, WTF, what the, what the fuck? Like, why are you, why am I getting this from the army PAO? And I was like, sir, these are my thoughts. And we featured doctors on our show and all this stuff. And he was like, okay, just keep your head low till you get out. And so I, as I'm getting out, okay, this, this censorship is no longer part of my life, then boom, that's when I start being censored on social media like crazy. And I think it was because of that article that came out in The Guardian. Uh, okay. Yeah, so then that's okay. when that started my social media censorship journey where I started being deleted repeatedly, you know, having to go get a new phone. And it's like, okay, they figured out that this phone is attached to me and then go get another new phone and start a new account and just keep coming back and coming back. And I've been deleted from Instagram seven times, Twitter a few, YouTube, Eventbrite. Oh my um, God, dude. What have I not been deleted from? Yeah, Apple Podcasts is the only thing I haven't been censored on. Knock on wood. I've always, I mean, I remember when you were reappearing on Instagram. I didn't re- realize there was that many times, but there was like backup accounts and then you'd, you yeah. know, hey, I'm back. They got my other one. I was like, oh my God. But yeah. honestly, watching people like you just get nuked, um, and not that I ever hid but i just i became more mindful about the way i worded things Mm -hmm. and became aware of keywords and just especially doing videos like when i was doing lives there were a number of times where it would mysteriously crash and just end the live on me and i was like oh what are we talking about chemtrails that's right (laughs) and uh all right one thing instagram would do is um i would post something about geoengineering just like a photo and the photo would be fine but if i put the word the c word in there it would get the you know fact checking shit, mm. and if I put a link to something like geoengineeringwatch.org, which I highly recommend people check out if you still think that's a conspiracy theory, if I put that link, it would just get deleted. 
you know, and I was like, okay, I'm starting to get the rules of the game here. And it was a balance of, for me of, you know, wanting to maintain my integrity and mm -hmm. speak my mind, but also knowing if I reach zero people with the other 90% of the content I'm doing, which I, I hope is beneficial to people yeah. in different ways on different topics, it's like, okay, so I get kicked off all the main platforms and then I become just subversive and underground and I can totally speak my mind on Rumble or whatever, BitChute or something, I'm gonna be reaching 90% fewer people. So I, you know, I kind you're of- You're never gonna reach someone who isn't currently seeing through the whole charade. You're only gonna reach an echo chamber on right. Rumble and BitChute and these other right. places. <laughs> right, so anyway, that was, you know, knock on wood for me, um, you know, managed to find a happy medium where I didn't feel like a sellout and phony but I also didn't just implode my whole platform mm. because like, I got to speak my mind. So it was interesting watching people like you kind of being the canaries in the coal mine and just pushing it as far as you can push it. And in fact, getting removed, you know, <laughs> I was like, shit. But I, you know, I didn't. I was the example for you to be like, okay, I don't want that to happen yeah. to me. So I'm Those are the keywords to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's <laughs> crazy though is like on my, on my fifth, sixth and seventh account, I was, Care careful like i would block out words i would never even use the word virus like i was very careful not to say certain things i wonder if it's like the algorithm because they had already recognized that like this name and these people that follow him I, who knows what the algorithm could do dude. yeah i had this article that i uh wrote for green med info it's called censorship in the way forward if anyone wants to look it up and it talks about how when i was creating a new account after i'd just been deleted i'm on a new device in a new location using a VPN and go to create the account with a new email address and it immediately gets deleted. And then, dude, I, I shit you not, I cover up my camera and do the same thing and it worked. What? And then- Oh my God, where's my phone? I'm turning my phone off right dude, now. I already know they- It already is off. Yeah, they already listen, do whatever. I don't care. I just flip them off all the time. But- um. Then to confirm that it wasn't a fluke, my uh, like business partner in, in Health Freedom Free Manny, she was my deputy executive director for Health Freedom Free Manny. She ran our Instagram account and we had just been deleted. She tried to make an account, deleted, deleted. She tried the same thing, covered up the camera and it worked. And I was like, oh my God. So I, again, I think it's just like they are using facial recognition technology without telling us that they are. And that's how they're able to know that it was me. And then I remember the first few Instagram lives I did on that new account. I'm like wearing like, I hate, I would never wear a mask. And it was like, I was wearing like a, you know, like a hoodie, like tucking my face in and like, yeah, it's me, you guys. Like, it's actually me. I'm like, what am I doing, man? Slowly over time, peek my head back out, but it's nuts. And now I've gotten to the point that like, I don't care if I'm censored. I genuinely don't. I almost think it's laughable at this point because I know people will find me and it's like become like a running joke. I don't know if you see like the the subtitle, the sub name on my Instagram right now. I'm titled as a petting zoo. And before that, I was a taxidermy place. And before that, I was a disc <laughs> golf course. So I just like make fun of it, man. And like, you know, I'm just concerned with speaking what I authentically think. And luckily I have a, a podcast that I can speak yeah. about these things that they don't really censor. So yeah, um, it's interesting how podcasts have generally and you know i don't want to bring this down upon us by pointing it out but for some reason podcasts are seem to be out of all the social media channels uh the least censored i have mean you thought about why that is 
yeah, I've tried to think about it and yeah. I come up with nothing, but yeah, I yeah. listen to some weird shit. I'm not even going to so tell true, people what I listen man. to, but I listen to all kinds of trippy ass podcasts and I'm like, how are these guys? I mean, they're very fringe. It's just, you know, very few people probably listen. Maybe that's one of the reasons, but I'm like, I'm hearing people talk about some crazy ass shit and their podcasts are still up on on mm -hmm. apple you know it's just it's interesting i mean th thankfully that's the case and i'll write it out as long as i can but um yeah i remember one uh, i think it was the might have been the cowan one you know i already knew you couldn't use certain words mm -hmm. on on youtube so i would like misspell everything in the title <laughs> you know i put like the mexican beer virus spelled with the y you know like just anything i could say to convey what it was about i was like just i'm like i'm an adult you know it's like i feel like i'm like like a kid trying yeah. to hide my playboys from my parents it's like what am i doing yeah. this is ridiculous but eventually they, they got to those too i think just because of the people who were the guests yeah like it didn't matter what i called the david ike episode for sure it was just like waking up humanity or something it had nothing to do with this stuff uh, that we're talking about, but still, they were just like, oh, David Icke, ding, and yeah, that just got sure. deleted, you know? Yeah. I've literally never met anyone in my life who doesn't like a little sex from time to time. In fact, some folks like it a lot of the time. The thing is that for men, their physical readiness is an important part of making this happen. Remember the last time you were at the gas station and you saw on the counter those horribly branded erection pills? Did you ever take a second to see what's actually in those products? They are terrible for you, just super toxic. And the same goes for most of the medication on the market that claims to help men in the bed, but who wants a four-hour erection, nasty side effects, heart problems, and a possible trip to the hospital to get rid of that thing? Well, luckily for me and maybe some of the men listening, I recently found this really cool product called Joy Mode that fills this gap. It's a performance booster, much like a pre-workout, but for sex. It's really cool. Joy Mode's gig is that they make natural and science-backed sexual wellness supplements for men. Their sexual performance booster is designed to support erection quality and firmness and sex drive. It contains clinically supported doses of L-citrulline, arginine, yohimbine, and vitamin C. To get yourself primed with the old Joy Mode, all you do is tear open the sachet and mix it with a glass of water, just like your favorite electrolytes. And uh, about 45 minutes later, it's going to be magic time. You'll notice better blood flow, better erection quality and firmness, and increased sexual energy and drive. I've actually taken this product myself many times, and uh, frankly, I was shocked that it actually worked and provided zero side effects. Do you gentlemen want to spice things up in the bedroom and boost your sexual performance? And do you want to do it naturally without those nasty prescription drugs? Well, we've got a special offer for lifestylist listeners right here. Go to usejoymode.com Luke and enter the code Luke at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's usejoymode.com Luke. Anywho, um, I want to get on to some some other things. Thanks for sharing your you know your experience with that, and thank you for your commitment and your you know the the very few fucks that you give yeah, about thanks. speaking your mind. What where do you think we are now in terms of independent media? You know, we've got Telegram, you've got the ones we mentioned that are kind of uh, would be alternatives to YouTube that are video platforms. I mean, do you think there's going to be, or are there ones that I maybe don't know about, viable? means by which we can communicate 
Yeah, there's that there, are free from the clutches of whoever's running these platforms. Yeah, there's one that I really like. It's created by Sayer G, the founder of Green Med Info. It's Unite.live. Um, the, the problem right now is that we have to have a mindset shift while also recognizing that a lot of people that we're wanting to reach have not had that mindset shift. And what I mean by that specifically is we need to decentralize our lives in every way possible from like control systems. And YouTube has the overwhelming majority of like video based audiences, right? And there's so many alternative platforms and that's how it needs to be. But I, I still think we're bringing in this mindset of wanting, okay, what is the next big one that everyone's going to move to when I think that the mindset shift that's required is getting out of that trap that it has to be this one big next thing that we move to. It has to be decentralized. We need to decentralize our platforms and be speaking on various platforms. And that's what I'm really trying to do with my approach now, especially because I guess I could consider myself a pioneer in that respect because I was censored on all the big platforms. I've checked out so many alternative You platforms. had to diversify. I had to diversify, <laughs> dude, yeah. So I don't like, you know, we were speaking a little bit about like analytics and not that I really give two shits about that earlier, but um, you know, like I don't know what my true analytics are because I'm on like so many different platforms with my message. And that's that's the mindset shift that I think we need to have. But one that I personally really like and I use a lot of them is is Unite.live and that's Sarah's okay, cool. platform. It's a really good one. One thing I did just preemptively in case I got nuked off the the um, communist platforms was made a telegram channel. Yeah. And there's like 4,500 people in there or something. I noticed it, it was up to 48, like a couple months ago. And then there's so many bots on there pretending Dude. to be me. Yeah. I mean, maybe people just don't like the negative shit that I post on there, but I saw it go down by a few hundred. And I'm like, I think people think it's me like, Hey, join my like Bitcoin thing or whatever. Just they're trying to get, it's like a picture of me with my name. And even though it's my channel, I can't delete them. Like yeah. I can report them as spam, but I'm like, why can't I just delete that comment? So I'm always posting screenshots of the fake accounts, telling people like, hey, They're I messaging don't- messaging people saying, hey, Patriot. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Patriot, yeah. exactly. I'm like, <laughs> when in my life have I ever referred to someone as Patriot? <laughs> Same, never. Man, ever. I never, never will. Never said that. Yeah, so, uh, so I, I lost a few heads, presumably, because they're like, what a dick. Why is he trying to scam me into something? Um, but mine's lukestory.com slash telegram. What's yours? Mine's uh, t.me forward slash the way forward for mankind. The way forward for mankind. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring that up about like consistently losing so that that's happening to Kelly Brogan's Telegram channel, my channel, Crystal Chini, Crystal Tini's channel, Joe Yee's channel, your channel. It's happening across Telegram. It's really weird. And like this may be my conspiracy mind turned on, <laughs> but it's like Telegram seemed like the safe haven of safe havens for social media platforms to really broadcast your message. That's why we have broadcast channels on there to to a group of people. And I think that in a way, it could be a trap. Not a trap in the, in terms of like they're mining your data. We know they're doing that. I mean, Telegram was created by a World Economic Forum young global leader. So, you know I mean, <laughs> that's like known. He's he's a World Economic Forum oh, young, God. Global, young global leader. But what I mean is that 
I don't think it is a, the safe haven that people think it is. And like slowly over time, I originally had 40,000 subscribers on my account because I was pushing so many people to my Telegram. Like, hey, if I get deleted again, I'm going to share a message on my Telegram channel so you know what my new Instagram account is. And over time, it's gone down. Now it's at like 28,000. So it's really interesting just cons consistently like losing. Yeah, I've never had it. any accounts ever uh, grow in reverse. That's mm -hmm. why I was like, oh, this is weird. Yeah. Strange. I, of course, my ego, I'm just like, I, I can't fathom the idea that someone just doesn't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, it must have been because of all the spamming. But I think there's also probably people, to be fair, that go on there and they're like, God, this is doom scrolling because it's kind of the catch all for anything that I would be censored for on yeah. the other ones. Therefore, it's most, I mean, it's mostly memes and stuff like that. I mean, I think they're it's funny. Like the angel and demon on your shoulder. The yeah, angel exactly. Is your podcast and then the demon on your shoulder. Is your the love and light stuff goes to instagram and the bad news goes to telegram so i understand that people don't want to be subjected to that have you noticed that you have like different audiences on each of those platforms like different type of people tuning in you know not really, really. because anytime i post something to instagram that's a little more subversive i get a lot of great response on that and people are like thank you okay. for not being a fake ass or a you know a sheeple mm. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people I don't hear from that are like, fuck that guy, and they just unfollow me. Um, but the ones that do, it's pretty much shared sentiment, I would say, in terms of DMs and just comments on things that I post on on the two platforms, It's which is interesting to me because they are quite different. And I, I think I know the boundaries of what I can get away with on Instagram, and I, I'm pretty mindful about not getting myself in trouble because I've been shadow banned a bunch of times, and that sucks because then yeah. I'm... I put out a podcast about meditation or something and it gets shadow banned because I was a smart ass and had someone like you on there. You know what I mean? Sorry. So I'm trying to find the balance. But anyway, so, okay, we, we're kind of up to speed on your journey. And um, I want to hear about this project you're working on, The End of COVID, which yeah. sounds super cool. And that's one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about because here we are three years into this thing. And I think many people, even people that were hook, line, and sinker on it, to some degree, are like, ah, something was off here, right? Yeah. At this point, you have a lot of people who are very obviously being injured by the uh, fake medication that was brought to market. And I see people in the periphery kind of waking up. You only have, I think, a small sect of people that are diehards that are just like, I trust the government no matter what. And anyone else is a conspiracy theorist. So in this series you've got. And this episode that we're recording now will come out on May 26, mm -hmm. 2023. On June 20th, this end of COVID massive media onslaught starts. But what is the date when people can actually sign up sign for up. it and get Starting, notified? They can start signing up June 5th. Okay, cool. 5th. Okay, cool. Awesome. June yep. 5th. So that'll be after this one yep. airs. So you've got over 80 pieces of long-form content, 100 hours of recorded interviews, presentations, conversations with an extensive cast of doctors, authors, and independent researchers. You feature, And I'm just telling you what I know, what I have in my notes here. You're featuring some of my favorite people, David Icke, Kelly Brogan, Amanda Vollmer, Tom Cowan, Andrew Kaufman, and Christiane Northrup. So yeah. that's kind of what I know about it. It's just like a media onslaught of all the people that have been outspoken mm -hmm. since the beginning but give us more details on that because i'm i'm super excited about it because we got to like you you know your brand the way forward your podcast right like okay we know everything's screwed up what do we do about it that's Amen. what i want to know Amen. and how do we prevent this shit from happening again yes and, th and that's a key point here is that 
Yes, we know that the WHO and the White House have announced that COVID is officially over, but the real- For some of us, it was over in March 2020. Exactly, (laughs) and that's the whole point is it's like, did it ever really actually begin? And what do I mean by that? Did it really actually begin? Because for some people, they'll take that and be like, yeah, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. The virus wasn't that infectious, but they're creating this bioweapon in a lab or they have this gain of function thing going on that we really need to put an end to. And when I say that, it never really began. I literally mean that in reality, it never really actually physically began. There was no physical threat associated with anything that happened the last three years. And there was, you know, the the Spanish flu at one point that ended, HIV AIDS at one point that ended. But this story keeps on being spun up. They tried with SARS-1. They tried with bird flu. They're talking about bird flu now again. Who knows what they're going to talk about next? The point is that this is called the end of COVID, but really it's kind of a misnomer. And it's because we're using COVID as a means to educate people on the whole fraudulent pandemic industrial complex is what we could probably call it. Right? You forgot monkeypox. Monkeypox, that, that one's that was another one. <laughs> that one's back in the news as of two days ago. And if you notice, like, I forget what it was. It was some shenanigans, the Biden shit or something. It's like when someone gets in some heat, right, or the border or whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's like when something kind of starts leaking through that the media doesn't want people to pay attention to, then they're like, uh, monkeypox. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get Here's the spotlight another- over here. <laughs> it's just like, God, you guys are becoming so predictable. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and and that's the point, right? Is that like this extends into every other possible narrative in some form. I know a lot of people are worried about our food supply right now as an example, right? And this, what we're talking about with the end of COVID, getting down to the granular details of everything you need to know of how they manufacture this whole situation. And most importantly, how we put an end to it individually and collectively giving you all the information you could possibly know. And that's why we have over 80 recorded sessions that consist of presentations, interviews, um, mini films, and roundtable discussions, getting down to the granular details of everything that happened the last three years and beyond. Because with bird flu, as an example, that does impact our food supply. There's been multiple cases over the past two to three years where they'll just give one bird a PCR test and we get into the details of the so-called PCR test of, of every single detail during the end of COVID, but they'll do that for one bird and say, oh, this is a PCR positive case for bird flu. Therefore, we need to cull this entire flock of, of chickens and kill them because all of them are likely to be infected with bird flu. It does have real implications getting into other areas other than just health of, of human beings. And in order to prevent this nonsense from happening again in the future, we need to be fully informed on exactly what happened over the last three years and beyond. I I fully believe that if people watch the end of COVID and what we've put together, there will be no stone left unturned in their mind. No, all, all the what if questions or what about questions. Well, what about this? What about that? What about gain of function? Well, what about you know, people getting sick around each other. How do you explain that? We're explaining everything, every detail, leaving no stone left unturned so that we can be fully informed and prevent this nonsense from happening again in the future. Awesome. I'm I'm pumped. I mean, I haven't talked about this topic in a while because it's just like so many of us, I'm just burned out on it, right? Mm. It's like, you're just like a boxer that's just in the ninth round. (laughs) It's just like, okay, I'm on the ropes, man. I can't fight anymore. I'm just going to hang out with my little family and friends and just live my best life. But 
the thing that inspires me about what you're doing, uh, people like you that are more engaged in the fight, is, okay, cool, so we're kind of through it and we can just relax now and I can get on an airplane like a normal person and not put a face diaper on and all that. But they're going to do it again. You know, that's the thing. They'll Whatever this uh, kind of conglomerate of entities are that seem to be in control of the human population, whatever they are, and you might have insights into that. I don't really know or pretend to know. But there seem to be a powerful group of people mm. that kind of run things. And not only do they not have the best interests of humanity at large, uh, in mind, they seem to really be against us. I mean, I feel like we're in a war, really. Yeah. And so even though this battle has kind of subsided and things are quieting down a little bit and getting back to air quotes normal, what is normal if you live in the matrix anyway? I mean, before COVID, it wasn't normal. Try not paying taxes and watch how normal your life is. <laughs> but it's just like they're taking a breath, they're stepping back and planning their next thing. And so that's the thing that compels me to share people like you and just like try to wake up a few more people so that next time we, we can actually peacefully not comply. Yeah. It's like, I'm not doing this again. I I'm, I'm, wasn't doing it the first time. I'm definitely not going to do it yeah. this time. And so, uh, you know, that's what I think is exciting. And for people that are also like me, just kind of burned out on this whole conversation, you know, we all are, but yeah. it takes some education for us to kind of understand the game plan and just value our connection to one another as people who are actually compassionate, caring people that care mm -hmm. about not only ourselves, but our family and our communities and, and humanity as a whole. And yeah. if we do, and I'm assuming people listening to this, share that sentiment, then some education is in order so that there's steps that we can take individually to protect our, our sovereignty. It's just, it's super important. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the, one of the things that we cover, so obviously we're covering the, the granular details of the science behind what happened in the last few years, but we're also covering all of the political socioeconomic implications of what's gone on. Like when I say we're covering everything, it's everything. And one of the big pieces that we're covering is not only educating people on various ways, both using statutory and common law to, to counteract what any of these agents of the state, the government are trying to do, but also we are educating people on a more high level, or I guess you could say more foundational principle of the illusion of authority, because with respect to what happened the last three years, overwhelmingly in, in Western countries and especially the United States, they didn't do anything to us physically. Like, did they coerce us? Did they threaten us? Did they uh, fear monger? Were some people fired in some cases? Absolutely. But had all of the people who authentically did not want to comply just simply acted on that authenticity and stood up and said no, which doesn't require belligerence, doesn't require hostility, doesn't require you to go stand outside your local government courthouse and say, hey, I don't like what you're doing to us. It just requires you to live an authentic life none of this would have happened. None of it would have happened. Like imagine if all the people who had some inkling to not actually comply with this stuff just said, no, nah, that's not for me. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to continue to live my life as a free man or a free woman. And none of this would have happened. I really think that because they, they require our consent. Do they trick us into giving our consent? Do they manipulate us? Do they coerce us? Do they threaten us? Absolutely. But speaking specifically to the United States and most other Western countries, 
they didn't physically force us to do anything. Of course, there are some examples where they physically did things to people, but had enough of us just said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. This is nonsense. Then none of this would have ever happened in the first place. And that's also a huge thing that we're covering in the end of COVID, getting down to the granular details of that too. Awesome. Yeah. And for people that want to get on board with that, again, the registration starts on June 5th, you said? It'll probably start a little bit before that, but okay. yeah, June 5th is the official like pre-launch period before So basically, June if you're listening to this in the first week, yeah. uh, you know, you should, it's going to be happening but, now. Yeah, exactly. And then people get access to all the material on June 20th. That's when like the big June release June 20th, we'll, we'll have, we'll be trickling out because there's a, there's a lot of stuff to <laughs> sort through. Sounds like it. There's a lot of stuff to sort through. We'll be trickling out like four or five sessions per day. And it's it's chronological in the way that it's laid out, either in terms of literal time chronological for some of the pieces, but then some of the pieces it's like, okay, building out a story of making sense of a certain specific topic, whether that be vaccines or making sense of virology, which I'm happy to share. The oh, I can't wait to here. get into that. Because um, that's the big what about is like, well, what were all those people sick with, right? Yeah. Which we'll, we'll get into momentarily, yeah. but yeah. I'm sure many people listening to this already are like, what do you mean it was all fake? Like yeah. my grandma got of sick course. or died and you know, I want to make sure to give space Pe for that. But people say that though too, right? They're like, there, there's almost this weird um, like schizophrenia in, in the, the health freedom slash truther community where they're like, oh, it was a bioweapon that was harmful that was created in lab, but it was just the flu. Or they'll say, oh, it was all a fluke, but there was this bioweapon that was really harmful to people. I'm like, which, which, one, which one is it's it? It's confusing. Right? I mean, I think the whole thing is meant to be confusing. Of course. I mean, that's why there of was course. just, there were so many things that just the rational mind could not grasp, right? I mean, like the yeah. stickers on the floor at the coffee shop and just like, what? So many, you know, like going to the airport and the six feet apart stickers all the way until you walk on the plane and then you're sitting six inches from <laughs> someone next to you who could be a carrier of yeah, the, you know, yeah. it's just like. So absurd. Anyone rational like me was made kind of crazy by that. Could you just like, wait, but it's just, it's, mm. there's no way all of the messaging and all of the control apparatus there's no way it wasn't meant to be confusing because there was so much orchestration in it. Mm -hmm. It could have been meant, it could have been made much smoother yeah. and easier for people to swallow, but it wasn't, it was made crazy to make yeah. us crazy. So anyway, uh, end of COVID, you guys can go to lukestory.com slash end of COVID lukestory.com slash end of COVID. We'll put that in the show notes. Of course. Uh, how much is this thing for people that want to yeah. get in on it? So it's free for 21 days. Oh, sick. Yeah. And then after that, the goal here is to get this out, to as many people as possible and especially the alternative community because there's a lot of people who have, who have woken up to what's gone on to certain levels, but they are subject to various other fraudulent schemes that are, that are being put forth by these perpetrators for years to come. And I think that what we're presenting here at the end of COVID, again, it's called the end of COVID because all of this charade is coming to a close, but we're covering so many other things that really the end of COVID is not entirely a correct name. We're just using COVID itself as a Trojan horse to introduce all of these ideas to really stop all of these frauds for years to come. And that's why we're targeting the, the alternative community to do so. And so after that initial 21 day free period, because we want to get this out to as many people as possible, we have uh, 
one price point that's 77 bucks and then another price point that's 111 bucks. And for either price point, you get the same material, but we just put forth both saying, hey, we've put a lot of effort and intention and attention on this, creating what we've created. And we want you to pick what feels most resonant with you to, to choose for a price point. And 77 amounts to less than $1 per session for all the content that we have. And you're going to be properly informed. Awesome. Awesome. I'd say cancel Netflix for a couple months. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Become unindoctrinated and maybe re-informed. All right. So one of the things that was most apparent to me about this in the beginning, I think that opened my eyes was the messaging was we are the government, we are the medical industry, and we care about your health, mm. right? It's like, oh, well, they should. We're, we pay taxes for them to care about us and take care of them, the nanny state, right? No talk of the fentanyl crisis, no talk about living a healthy lifestyle, eating right, exercising, human connection, um, drinking plenty of water, getting good sleep, I mean, just basic recommendations on how a human being can have some semblance of health zero recommendations on that the only recommendations were we got this medicine coming take that wear a mask don't touch people don't go to granny's funeral that's where i was really lost i'm like okay you know you don't have to be like a health expert to understand that if someone tries to help you they would say hey you know eat organic food and yeah. work out a little bit you know so th that was like the first thing for me um, can i comment on that real yeah quick, please actually? please because this is one that frustrates me to no end because it's so obvious, even according to the CDC's own data, that what you're saying is true. 95% of COVID deaths had an average of four comorbidities, most being lifestyle nutrition related. What that means is that 95% of people who died with a COVID label had an average of four other conditions that led to their death. So only 5% of COVID deaths had uh, an average of one or or had no comorbidities, essentially. 79% of hospitalizations were in overweight or obese people. This one is the huge one to me. The second strongest risk factor for deaths, according to a study published by the CDC in July of 2021 that was studying 500,000 people across various hospital systems uh, that died of, quote, COVID, and we'll get into that, but the second strongest risk factor for death was fear slash anxiety related disorders. So those three data points indicate to me and really anyone who has any critical thought ability left that you should probably focus on lifestyle, mindfulness, and nutrition given all of those data points directly from the CDC's own data. And then what did we have happen? Um, I don't know what the stat is now, but I remember in uh, the fall of 2021, the Biden administration at that point had dished out $40 billion to improve vaccine infrastructure and improve vaccine messaging to combat, quote, vaccine hesitancy, and especially in low-income communities. So these low-income communities that don't have access to a lot of the things that people like you and I like, and that is a huge problem. But when people say, well, you're privileged, you have access to this, I'm like, yeah, and you think that the government is going to help you and the government is righteous, and they're spending $40 billion to combat vaccine hesitancy when their own data shows the importance of lifestyle, mindfulness, and nutrition. What's with that? And I have not heard one person that could give me a clear answer on that. I went on to... Um, <laughs> Did you say 40... 40 billion. Billion? Billion. Think about just that number. I'm picturing like in every low-income neighborhood in the country, you could have like 10 farmer's markets going seven days a week. Exactly. You know, yeah. and pop-up gyms 
and health education. Think of what you could do with forty billion dollars, oh dude, dude. Right? Yeah, it's absurd. Yeah. I, one thing I like about you, and I, I don't share this quality, is to be able to remember facts. Oh, dude. And I know you're a big source guy because people be like, oh, show me a source. And I'll you, send them, throw them in the show. Yeah, you have, you. you have links to all this Keep stuff. receipts, baby. Yeah, you do, which is yeah. great. I, I just kind of do broad strokes yeah. um, based on my underlying sentiment. Uh, the other thing was, uh, maybe you could add to this, is the not only the lack of promotion of lifestyle uh, changes mm -hmm. but also the suppression of alternative treatments mm -hmm. you know ivermectin hydroxychloroquine i mean god forbid like ozone therapy or things like that right i yeah. remember there was one point trump said something about like the fake news took what he said and said trump said inject bleach i think he was talking about like ultraviolet for sure love irradiation yeah. you know yeah. blood irradiation like things that are actually like in the alternative medical mm -hmm field now that people use for all kinds of things so anything that could have worked that wasn't this mrna fake vaccine were just completely squashed and mm. everyone was demonized and laughed at that was promoting them yeah i have a interesting nuanced take on that and uh while i acknowledge that people had short-term seemingly positive effects from hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin i'll give you an example here my wife nine years prior to us uh, getting married was diagnosed with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. One of the drugs she was on was Plaquenil, which was hydroxychloroquine. And she was consistently becoming sicker and sicker and sicker, more chronically inflamed. And this is actually what woke me up to the, the pharmaceutical industry's corruption. By way of various people, we found Dr. Kelly Brogan. And Dr. Kelly Brogan was, you know, helped my mom with some of her issues and completely reversed some of my mom's issues. And once we saw that happen with my mom, we tried the same thing with my wife and we tapered her off all of her immunosuppressive drugs, Plaquenil being one of them and a few other things that she was on and just adopt, adopted a very um, you know, natural approach to health. And my wife reversed all of her autoimmune conditions in a matter of three months that she had suffered with for nine years. And she sustained that remission now for seven years. It's wow. really incredible. So that's what woke me up is seeing those two examples. Yeah. But the reason I bring that up is because one, that that got me on this journey, but two, because hydroxychloroquine, yes, it could have seemingly positive effects initially, but the position that I've come to, and we get into great detail about this, we have a whole session on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, it's called hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, a different take, because it is a different take, but we get into the science of these two things. And what's happening is it is suppressing symptoms, and that may alleviate the symptoms that you're dealing with temporarily, but ultimately I would, I would say that it's likely suppressing and pushing that toxicity that needed to come out of you just deeper into the tissue. So would I advocate for that over, you know, the MRNA shots? Absolutely. But I don't think that this, this, what I would like to call the early treatment brigade is really getting to the root of this issue because hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, you know, people say that they're antiparasitics, especially with ivermectin, but they'll say that it's treating the virus. It's stopping the replication of the virus. And if we understand what viruses have been mistaken to be, we can understand that it's simply stopping the cell from experiencing what is called a cytopathic effect, which is the cell's process of, you know, getting rid of toxicity and decaying tissue. So, we can we can talk about that. Cool. And I bring it around. <laughs> I, what I love about you, dude, is you're you're alternative to the alternative people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, dude. Like, 
I see you on Twitter just putting all these guys on blast and stuff. And I'm like, wait, I thought they were the good guys. And you're like, wrong. Well, th that's the thing is like, I, I want to be, <laughs> want to be clear on this. I try not to single out specific people. It's that when there are people, and I want to be careful about what I say. I mean, you could go look at my Twitter and you can see what I say very openly. But um, when you are running a large organization that is receiving donations that is based on the premise of uh, – covering the truth about science and corruption and the truth on health and things like this. And that is the message that you're putting forth, but you refuse to touch this issue, at least have a conversation on it. just one, just one or a couple of conversations on it to show, Hey, here's another perspective. When this issue happens to be the foundational premise, the discussion surrounding the existence of viruses um, happens to be the foundational thing that your entire organization is based on feel like that's pretty important for you to cover it. And when you don't cover it, that raises some red flags for me, especially when you have chapter leaders as part of your organization for one of these organizations, or you have your audience begging you to touch these topics and you consistently avoid discussing these topics. And you could say the excuse, well, we're not an organization that discusses virus history. We're, we're just discussing whether, you know, vaccines are safe or not. And we're, we're advocates for safe vaccines, but the, the foundation of vaccinology is virology. So that's an important conversation. And at the same time, these organizations that I'm loosely alluding to are constantly pumping the gain of function narrative, which I'm happy to get into why it's important that if they're going to cover that, which, okay, totally that, fine to do so, it's important to also have the conversation on the table whether viruses even exist at all or not or whether gain of function is even possible with viruses specifically. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't perceive you as on Twitter, for example, being a dick. It's more of a red flag to me that you're politely asking questions and these people block you and stuff. Uh -huh. You know, I'm just yeah. like, huh. Well, then that makes me want to listen to what you have to say because these people that, you know, and I'm sure they're all waking up tons of people and doing for great sure. work. But the fact that no one will touch the germ theory and yeah. terrain theory conversation is suspect to me to say the least. So For we'll sure. definitely get into that. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was why we as a peoples outsource our authority to the government and subsidiary agencies of the government when they have such a vast history of maiming and killing vast numbers of people. Yeah. Like why don't why why do we do that? I mean, I'm just psychology question. Yeah, I think there's a really interesting session during the end of COVID with uh Meredith Miller who talks about the state of captivity that people are in, almost trauma bonded to the government, and it's done in a very manipulative way. But to comment on it briefly, it's because so many of us that are adults are walking around as children in adults' bodies. And we've transferred our looking up to mommy and daddy for answers to looking up to mommy and daddy government for answers. And it's too scary us for so many of us to take control of our own lives and step into our own power. A lot of people, even in the alternative health space say, oh, I want, I'm a freedom fighter. I want to be free. But they're so focused on what the government is doing. And it's just the flip side of the coin of being so focused on what the government is doing to tell you what to do. It's like they've become the rebel kids. And I'm like, Rather than play the game of Monopoly with them forever, just take yourself off of the Monopoly board and stop playing the game altogether. 
stop trying to take on different roles and different ways to approach the government and just take yourself off of the monopoly board altogether. And for some people, like, you know, you may be aware of like status correction, things like this. And of course, yeah, that's a route you can take. But I'm talking about internally first. Stop looking at them as a legitimate authority figure in your life because they only require our belief that they have legitimate power, right? The men and women who comprise the government rely on our conditioned belief that they have legitimate power to tell us what to do with our lives. And if all of the alternative community understood this instead of saying, oh, if we just get the right guy in office, this time we'll turn the ship around. They understood that they require our belief and the legitimacy of their authority to operate and do what they do, their authority would cease to exist. It would be gone. It'd be completely gone. Absolutely. And it seems like this authoritative body that we just call them really capitalize on the vulnerability of compassionate people. Oh yeah. Right? This is something that I found to just be so disturbing about the PSYOP element of this is you have, I don't know, the people that are more emotionally centered, which would typically lean more liberal politically, right? Versus more of your analytical uh, mind-based person that might just kind of stick with the facts and be more conservative and yeah. right-leaning, just broadly speaking here. What's been so interesting to me is to see, and I started to notice this with like meditation centers and stuff like that, where like requiring that you have the vaccine. And I'm like going nuts to me. You guys, but like this is where Ram Dass used to speak and Alan Watts. I'm like, you guys are now becoming authoritarians. Yeah. And it's a really a psychological puzzle for me. And I think what it is, is that so much of the, the media manipulation is targeted at well-meaning, kind, compassionate people. Because the other people that are just more logical and linear in their thinking are like, ah, oh, this doesn't make sense because the facts don't add up. I'm, I'm out, right? Yeah. And then they're labeled granny killers by the compassionate people who are, let's just broadly again, speak like left versus right kind of thing, which I don't even believe in, but just for the sake of this topic and the question I'm trying to pose, but it's so freaking evil that the most kind, feeling, compassionate, altruistic people were brainwashed into becoming these totalitarian Karens mm -hmm. that are out there demonizing all the people that aren't agreeing with the media narrative and manipulation. What do you think about that? Our susceptibility to mind control seems to be based in our level of compassion, not just in our seeking of some authority after our parents have relinquish that role in for our sure life. no i think i think that's totally valid too um i think that uh have you heard of the concept of of the big lie from from the nazi regime mm -mm. i forget the exact quote but it's something to the effect of like tell them the big lie because they could never fathom telling a lie that big themselves so they'll definitely believe you when you tell the big lie Ah, and th I think the, the cognitive dissonance principle. Then it's yeah, like essentially, I can't imagine this to be true. Therefore, it's not. <laughs> well, I can't imagine that they would lie about something this big because I would never lie about something this big. Like, sure, so many people tell like little lies here and there, right? But something of this magnitude, I could not imagine lying about myself. They project their altruism onto the government, and they think because I would never lie about that. There's no way they could. Therefore, all these conspiracy theorists and what they're saying can't possibly be true, even if 
all the evidence is on their side, there's no way because I just don't want to believe that someone could do something like this. And that's what I think they play on. I think that people cannot fathom the level of evil that is required to do what some what's been done to people for the last years. And it doesn't extend just, you know, it's not just COVID. It extends far beyond that, especially with respect to the subset of the conversation, health, right? Um, that they cannot imagine that happening because they would not do that themselves. And I think you're totally right. They play on that altruistic, um, really well-intentioned nature of many people. And I would say, yeah, especially the left. And they manipulate them to buy into what they're doing because so many people cannot possibly fathom that level of evil occurring because they wouldn't do it themselves. Yeah, totally. I, I had that part of the conversation with my wife early on when I was, I mean, she's just not someone who's ever been interested in any of this. You know, just <laughs> it's not her lane. She's just a good person and does her thing in her own beautiful way. But when this started happening, that was the question. So I said, but why? Why are they doing this? They wouldn't do that. You mean all the politicians are lying? All the media is lying? They're trying to harm people? Why? She just couldn't fathom that. And, and I would tell her, honey, it's because you're not a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? well, and this is the you have empathy. So yeah. you can't imagine that there are people who have uh, power and control in, in our culture, in our society, that are psychopaths and do seek to harm people for their own selfish interests. Absolutely. Right? It's yeah. like, if you're not that way, you can't, it's like, it's like trying to put yourself in the shoes of a serial killer. It's mm -hmm. like, people do that? I would never do that. Therefore, you can't believe it. But you see the evidence of some dead bodies and then you go, oh, okay, shit, there are people that are that evil. Absolutely. Right? But it's, it's a really interesting social, um, psychological phenomenon to me. The yeah. cognitive dissonance that is born out of you being a good person, therefore, you, you literally can't put yourself in the shoes of a psychopath because you can't imagine why would one be motivated to hurt other people? Absolutely. Because you wouldn't be, because you're a cool person. Exactly. And the problem with that, too, is that then people will look at that dynamic and say, okay, so you're saying that all doctors, all politicians, all insert any other people that are part of that you know, system are all in on it. And that's not the case either. So many people are conditioned to buy into things. And I think there's several experiments that have been done uh, just analyzing human behavior that sort of underpin and, and give credence to that notion. And one of them is the Milgram experiments. Another one is the Stanford prison experiments. And then another one is the Ash experiments. So the Milgram experiments were done uh, to try to see, they're essentially seeing testing obedience to authority. And what happened in those set of experiments was there was an actor behind a wall that the person couldn't see, but he was hooked up to a microphone so you could hear this person behind the wall. And this person um, that was actually the subject, but he thought he was just taking part in the experiment and the other person behind the wall was the, the ex person being experimented on, was ordered to give a certain amount of shock based on some things that were happening. I forget the exact nature of it, but what was discovered is that upwards of like 65% of people would give a what appeared to be a death level of shock because the actor behind the you know behind the wall was like oh stop i'm gonna die. i'm gonna fucking die if you give me any more and he would look up to the authority figure like are you sure i'm okay to do this and it's like yep yeah you know he signed up for the experiment he signed waivers okay so he would do it and over 65 percent of people would do it 
So over 65% of people would be obedient to authority, <laughs> right? Despite giving a death level shock to someone. And then the ASH experiments set to, uh, you know, determine like groupthink mentality, essentially. And what that found is that over, I, I one of them 65%, one of them 75%. But the point is like the, the maj overwhelming majority of people would go with the group consensus on a certain thing. Like maybe they would flash a certain card. I forget exactly how it was done. Um, but would go with the group's consensus in face of like their own observations and experiences telling them, no, that's not like the whole group was in on it for the experiment. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. And, and they would go with the group consensus, go, like fall to group think despite their own observations and experience and telling, telling them otherwise. And then the Stanford prison experiment really showed that when people are given a certain amount of authority, they will wield that authority against their subjects in a way that is very clearly harmful and inhumane. So taking those three things and putting them together, and I'm sure there's other experiments that have been done, really gives you um, insight into human behavior and you can relate it to this whole situation that happened with COVID. And like, I think that the illusion of authority, um, that's, you know, that's what a lot of people and that are, more voluntarist or libertarian minded call it the illusion of authority really is is foundational to the everything that's happened the last three years because um how many people how many examples do we have of people who are just like oh i was just following orders or i was just following protocols like these protocols that were done in hospitals with remdesivir and ventilators doctors were just following protocols right and it's because of all of those experiments that have been done on human beings that sort of give you insight into how humans behave in the face of authority. EMF radiation has become an extremely problematic issue for all of us. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know how passionate I am about finding affordable, practical solutions. Well, I recently found a subscription service called Quantum Upgrade that counters this problem. First, by bringing quantum energy to any area where you need it, and second, by harmonizing the EMF within these areas, neutralizing EMF frequencies to make them less toxic to the body. When you reduce harmful frequencies and add additional quantum energy to your physical body, you've got a powerful combo that significantly enhances your ability to heal and regenerate on a cellular level. Let me explain how this quantum upgrade works. Enrolling in their streaming service transmits this vital energy to your home or virtually any unique identifier to which you set it, such as your phone or vehicle. Another bonus feature I really dig about this service is that I can easily customize it anytime from anywhere in the world. For example, sometimes I'll set boosters for specific frequencies when I need support for mood, focus, or sleep. And lucky for you, we've hooked up a 15-day free trial for Lifestylist listeners if you're quantum curious. Just visit quantumupgrade.io and enter the code LUKE15 to try it out. That's quantumupgrade.io. I've been pretty damn obsessed with mitochondria for the past couple years. From blue light hacks to saunas and cold plunges, I'm always after more ATP, our body's main fuel source. And up until now, there haven't been very many supplements on the market to support mitophagy or the flushing out of old, damaged mitochondria. So when I discovered this unique compound called urolithin A, I was super intrigued. It's found in pomegranate, but it's very hard, well, impossible really, to eat or drink enough of it to get the scientifically proven clinical dose. This is where a product called MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition comes in. 
They've created three ways to get your daily dose of 500 milligrams of urolithin A in their product, MitoPure. They've got a delicious vanilla protein powder that combines muscle building protein with the cellular energy of MitoPure and a berry powder that easily mixes into smoothies or just about any drink. And finally, soft gels for travel. Personally, I love the new starter pack, which lets you try all three forms of MitoPure. This is the first product to offer a precise dose of this compound to upgrade mitochondrial function, increase cellular energy, and improve muscle strength. It actually took 10 years of research to bring this potent product to market, and I'm personally glad it did because it works. Right now is a special offer for my audience. That means you. Use the promo code LUKE10 to get 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month MitoPure plan at TimelineNutrition.com. That's TimelineNutrition.com. And to learn more about this fascinating discovery, go back and check out episode 389 with Dr. Chris Wrench. It's incredible stuff. Amazing. I love stuff like that. And I think many of us are also unaware that government agencies in across all sectors have known about the human psyche for a very, very long time, right? It's like they're way more advanced than we are aware of or that we give them credit for. So when there's an initiative to gain control or whatever it is, right? I mean, who knows what really motivates these psychos? But when they want to do their thing to the populace, and there's very few of them and very many of us, it takes getting into the mind of the populace in order to subjugate them, exploit mm-hmm. them, and control them. Yeah. So when we call them psyops or psychological operations, they're exactly that because of these kind of experiments. And those are the ones that we know about, right? Yeah. That they have a window into the human psyche. They know what makes us tick. And therefore using the, the power of the media, which they, of course, now we all see, hopefully control 100%, except for maybe some of the independent media, it's not hard for them to convince people no. to act on their behalf. Yeah. Even the people that intuitively in their heart know that it's wrong, mm-hmm. right? Because of this allegiance to authority and them knowing the groupthink dynamic and cognitive dissonance and using people's compassion and empathy against them and weaponizing them against the people who are in resistance. And it's just crazy. I mean, you got to step back sometimes and just go, at least life's interesting. <laughs> you know it's I mean? very interesting. It's yeah. like, it would be really maybe boring to be here on earth if none of this shit was happening. You know, it's just like every day we're just inundated with so many interesting aspects of humanity on all sides. What do you think about, uh, this as someone who's very proactive in your life about kind of you know you're a luke skywalker you're an obi-wan you know you're fighting against the death star you Mm -hmm. know um sometimes i catch myself in a moment of clarity and just realize that all of this duality that's here in the human experience is god i don't know how else to say it right and that it's totally a game and I don't know how to articulate this. It's like, I don't think anything is wrong with the world, Mm -hmm. okay? If the purpose of the world and human incarnation is to burn karma and earn positive karma, then everything is perfect Mm -hmm. because it's a perfect playing field by which to do that. You have a spectrum of experience and possibilities available to you. You can be a serial killer. You can be a saint, right? And it's up to your 
free will, your, your decisions in life that are going to indicate which way you go. So if it's all a game, there's a part of it that's like, eh, fuck it. I'm just going to live my life and not yeah. try to do anything about it. But do you think, as someone who's very proactive, much more so, I'd say, than I am in many ways at least, um, that part of the game, even though you might have an awareness that this is a duality and that it's all kind of set up as this Monopoly board, that you're still going to play your part even though you know it's a part. Dude. So What's your take on... That's kind of where I'm at. What's your take funny, on that? It's funny you brought up something like, I don't know how long we've been going now, but like 20 or so minutes ago that made me think... Like, that pops into my head all the time that at the highest level, the people, you know, these are the easy ones like Fauci and Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and all these people, they're playing a role. And I think back to what I was doing prior to this whole charade, right? Like prior to this whole experience of COVID. And like I said, I was considering staying in the army and part of a corrupt organization that I knew was corrupt because I was comfortable, right? And I look at them as you could say light workers. I think that's like a cliche buzzword now in the like new age spiritual community. But in a way they are kind of light workers because they ushered in for so many of us who are willing to go there, having to look at our lives and what we are doing in our lives and reanalyze our values, what we, you know, what we believed in and what we had come to accept and just complete paradigm shifts in so many ways. And that's what it did for me. And I think, in this duality, like, you know, we're sitting here and of course, when I get in meditative states or when I do Qigong, I do Qigong every morning, I have that experience of, of oneness, right? But we're still, as individuated portions of consciousness, experiencing duality for a purpose, right? And there are an infinite number of roles, just as you said, and some of those roles may be that some people go meditate in the cave for their, their whole life and experience oneness for basically the entirety of their life. And that's great. And we need those roles. We also need the roles of Fauci. We need all of those roles because I look at it like all these are catalysts, all these traumatic experiences. If you use them appropriately, if you understand what they are, are catalysts for growth, for the growth of our individual portions of consciousness that we are. And, you know, that's a foundational belief for me. I don't have anything to say that that is objectively true, but that's what I believe. It sounds like that's what you believe too. And it's weird when you're saying, I think everything is all perfect. It's like at the highest level, absolutely everything is all perfect and everything is as it should be. But at this level, with that understanding in the background, does that mean we don't strive to make this place a better place to some level? And that's for each man and woman to decide. Mm -hmm. And for me, it looks like, okay, I'm aware of the game that's being played at the highest level. And I always have that to fall back on. Do I get pulled into duality too much sometimes? And like, you know, I guess you could say rage against the machine. Although I wouldn't say I do that because I think my message is all of it's an illusion. Stop buying into their BS, but I'm still pointing to the BS and doing so. So that is dualistic in some way, but I'm not like standing outside the courthouse saying you have power over me and I don't like it. My thing is get the hell off of the monopoly board. But in order to contextualize that, you have to point to the monopoly board, right? Right. Yeah. And so the roles and the dynamics that you're pointing to, I think absolutely exist and everything is perfect. But in duality, it's like we are striving to, to be the good, to be the good change in the world. And I look at the phrase, the new normal. 
the normal that we had before this whole charade was that great like a lot of people were saying like i want to go back to the old way i'm like hell no dude like not a chance right so like we could flip the new normal phrase on its head and and bring in a better new normal that is our new normal that we want to create and i think that this like dance that i'm in between going into the foundational oneness that underpins everything at least that's my belief and then going back into but I'm here to play a specific role. You said like Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan, thank you. I, you know, um, don't take that lightly. Uh, that's, that's like a, that's, that's a role that I think I am playing, like ushering in really paradigm shifting um, things, like helping to usher those things in. And I think that, like you said, I'm the, the, the alternative of the alternative of the alternative. And it's like people are settling on, okay, the virus wasn't, that big of a deal. And it's like, no, we can go even deeper than that. People are settling on, you know, maybe if we just get the right guy in office, then we'll be going. I'm like, no, we can go even deeper in that. Authority itself is an illusion. I think that's the role that I'm playing is to help dissolve all these illusions and get people to go deeper. And will everyone go deeper? No, that's for them to decide. But this is the, the role that I'm playing in this life. And I feel very comfortable with it. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think I think for me, it's just been, it's been heavy, you know, the past few years. I mean, it was heavy before when I started looking into alternative news sources. It was heavy for me starting, I mean, not just my own life experience, but the world and all of it. When I saw my first 9-11 video that unequivocally showed that there was no plane that had ever hit the Pentagon. I mean, try to, I dare anyone listening, try to find evidence of a plane on that property that day. It ain't there. It doesn't exist. The rest of it, I don't know. Look up that in Building 7. Okay, I'll leave it at that. The rest of all, you know, these, they were holograms. I don't know. You know, I don't know what happened. I don't pretend to know what happened. But when I saw that, it was like, okay, we're in a real pickle here (laughs) because these fuckers lied about something big, yeah. you know, and that wasn't even the biggest. There's been a, the Gulf of Tonkin and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on, right? But it started to get heavy the more I learned about that. So it was always like a balance of like, ooh, how much do I really want to pay attention to all mm-hmm. of that? And the, you know, human trafficking and just all of the darkness in the world. But it got real heavy with this. And so I've had to go within and really reconcile what this is all about. And like, how can I still be happy and useful to society and my Mm -hmm. friends and family and have a good life and and have some lightness about my experience and also stay awake and stay aware. And it's always this balance. And that's why I asked you about that duality. And like, if we know we're just playing a role, then playing the role can become fun and less heavy. For sure. You know, it's like you kind of know this whole thing is just set up as a school, an earth school. And I love how you said these players are are playing their role perfectly. And I had this experience, dude, um, in a 5-MEO DMT journey. Mm -hmm. And I, for anyone that's had that experience, you'll know uh, there's a portion of it. If you, you know, were lucky enough uh, and had the courage to go deep enough where all duality melts away and you're just in pure consciousness it's really ineffable it's it's ridiculous to try to describe it because it's beyond Mm -hmm. anything words 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 just could never take you there but anyway having experienced that uh, a few times and one particular time i saw that these evil characters throughout history many of them still alive today a couple that you mentioned 
I saw the beauty in them and the perfection in them that they're playing their role just so perfectly. Mm. And that, like you said, we do need them because we need something to push up against. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? It's like yeah. if everyone on earth was an enlightened being and it was all just perfection and there was no, there was no, you know, uh, that side of duality, there was no evil, no darkness, no wrongdoing, no violence, etc. It would kind of be pointless to be here. So you need entities or people playing those roles so that you, if you're driven to do so, like I am and like you are, to do good in the world to the best of our ability, you have to have bad in order to do good, mm -hmm. you know? And it, it's hard for me to articulate, but it's like, that gives me the ability to wear the world as a looser garment, for you know? Sure. And just, I look on Telegram and there's a part of me that's like, oh no, they're coming to kill us. And it's like, okay, relax. This is all a dream. And if you know you're in the dream, you can be the best player that you can be. And that's the best you can do. And just leave it at that. Dude, I think at least for me, I'll speak for myself and it sounds like for you as well. It's like staying in that, that constant flow of, understanding in the back of your mind, always have it lingering or really in your heart that, that we are all one, that these people are just playing roles, but still like, that doesn't mean that, you know, I have, I have two kids, right? That doesn't mean I'm just going to let whatever the fuck happened to them. Right. You know what I mean? I'm still going yeah. to not fight, but I'm going to work for a better future for them and help to educate other people so that they can have better futures for themselves and their kids and their lives and their families. Like it's, it's staying in that flow and that balance of understanding that, we are all one, but we're living in a perceptively separate reality for a reason. There's a reason that we're here experiencing this, right? <laughs> exactly. Like we're here because we're doing in, it. <laughs> in pure consciousness, where there's no different differentiation of a you and a me, then we don't get to experience a you and a me, exactly. right? So if we are a you and a me, even though you and I know that we're both actually one thing, consciousness being expressed as two apparent individual things, but if we weren't expressed, then we wouldn't know that we exist. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. like so cool. It's just like weird paradox, it's, right? It's and crazy, it's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, so so that, you know, that helps me too when I look at a Hillary Clinton or any of these people mm -hmm. that I vilify and judge. It's like I can look at them as people that were likely traumatized. They mm. were likely, likely indoctrinated. They were chosen to play that role or elected to play that role. And I can have compassion for them, even the, the worst doers of evil, yet still stand against them. For sure. And refuse to comply Absolutely. with their, the harm that they're attempting or succeeding in perpetuating on my fellow humans. So it's like I don't have to hate them. I just refuse to accept their behavior mm -hmm. or their rules for that matter. For, for me, what it obviously helps with like those larger players, but it definitely helps for the people who are not, you know, quote, awake to what's going on. When I look at people who are still complying or like really f trying to coerce me to comply, you know, calling me a grandma killer and things like this. I had one dude, uh, we were in Topeka, Kansas. I was living in Kansas City at the time. We were coming back from a road trip and Kylie and I and my wife, we walked into a restaurant with our kids and we weren't wearing masks and we were in a pretty like left leaning part of Topeka and they tried to kick us out and we like stood our ground. We were just like, you know what? It's not even worth it. We're too hungry. We've been on the road for five hours. We have two kids. We got to get them fed. So we just walked out and there's this guy sitting outside the restaurant. He looks at me, he says, you're a fucking narcissist. And I just like 
immediately <laughs> cussed him out. But then I left and I'm like, dude, why did I do that? Like this dude is so conditioned to believe that what he's doing, playing off of what we were talking about earlier, that that is the altruistic position. And this is what I always fall back on for me. Had I not had the experience I had in 2016, seeing two people I love that were chronically ill, my mom and my wife, inside the conventional allopathic system, drastically heal by the grace of God, because we've, you know, we met Dr. Kelly Brogan and then that changed the whole trajectory of our family because they did the, my wife and my mom did the work to begin to heal naturally. Had I not seen that with my own two eyes, would I be able to see through what's going on right now? Because a lot of my West Point friends who now think I'm batshit crazy, who are, you know, groomsmen in my wedding, ushers in my wedding, some of my best friends don't speak to me anymore. And I have compassion for them because I'm like, dude, had I not had this experience, I probably wouldn't think this way. And that's what brings me back to like the heaviness falls away, just like it, just as you're saying. It's yeah, and the pain of living in an us and them paradigm yeah. too, you know? Because again, like down here on earth in the duality, there often is an us and them. Yeah. But at the higher level, there's not. Yeah. And I love that, like you putting yourself in the shoes of that man who berated you. I like to think about when, when someone is accosting me or I perceive them to be trying to harm or attack me or just even not me, just people, bad actors in the world, if I had lived in that person's shoes from the moment they were born and had every experience that they had, I would be the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? For sure. It's like if you hadn't seen your mom and your wife heal, you know, you would you would probably have an opinion and, and viewpoints like that man and maybe even some of the same behavior. You know, that's always a good thing to remember when, yeah. you, when, when I'm judging someone. It's like, I don't know anything about their life. And if I had their life, I would be them by default. I'm yeah. only me because I had my life. And, you, you know and I've only made the mistakes and, and fuck-ups in my life because of the life that I had. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's like Dude, I've yeah. done a lot of shitty stuff in my life. I mean, yeah. not I don't think in many years, but when I was an addict, I mean, I was not a good person. Mm -hmm. Underneath, there was a good person, but you know the pain and the trauma and the things I was going through made You're me a trauma a traumatized person. Made me very selfish. So if you yeah. would have looked at me at 22 years old, 25 years old, you'd be like, "Wow, that guy's a real selfish asshole." Mm. Um, well, that's the best I could do with the life that I had lived up Amen. until that point. So I don't. That's why I don't judge myself for my past transgressions and just. I mean, it's embarrassing a lot of it, um, and I've had to make amends to mm -hmm. probably a couple hundred people that I harmed inadvertently or not. Um, but I don't look back and go, oh man, I was such a screw up. It's like, well, of course I was the way I was. And of course, George Soros is the way he is. Who yeah. knows what happened to him, you know, that made him make the choices that he makes. And, and what's, what's amazing about coming back to that compassion and putting yourselves in the shoes of other people having empathy or sympathy for like where they're at, right? is that you can actually approach them and effectuate change and help them see a little bit better when you're understanding where they're coming from rather than just like pointing to people and calling them sheep. I've never once called anyone a sheep. I've actually been outspoken against those. Ah, you know, shit, I have. <laughs> well, it's, it's okay. I'm going to stop. It's okay, but it's like. No, that's when, a judgment. It's, it's, no, not, it, it, it's not helpful. I mean, dude, I cussed that dude out outside of the restaurant in Topeka. So like all of us are prone to it. But when I can come back to that compassion, and understand that if my goal in approaching these conversations is first to get them to understand where I'm coming from, at the least, at a minimum, maybe not get them to see and, and share my perspective, but understand where I'm coming from, then I need to be the one to show that I understand where they're coming from. And at 
the least what I can do. Maybe that doesn't require me to like sit down and hear them out. Not everyone has the time to do that, but I can go through that, you know, mental game in my head of putting myself in their shoes that allows me to approach them with more compassion. And at the least that will have more of a positive impact than shaming them or mocking them or saying, you damn sheep, you vaxxed hard or any things like this. I just don't think that's helpful. That's not going to help people. See, if you want just an echo chamber of people who share the same ideas with you, which leads to stagnation, leads to no growth for yourself. Sure. Do that. That's fine. But if you want to constantly challenge your own paradigm, which I think everyone should do. And if you want to help other people come to see your perspective a little bit, you need to be the one to initiate and approach people in a compassionate way. And I think that's actually how we create change to get people who can't see through what's going on. Not that that's our role, but if we want that to be our role, if we want people to at least understand where we're coming from, approaching them compassionately will do wonders. Amen, brother. All right. I want to get into some crazy shit now. <laughs> we've been, how long have we been? Okay. Hour and 22 minutes. This has been the PG portion of the show, and oh, so I'll, when I do the intro, I'll, I'll do my best to remember, like, hey, because sometimes I make a title for these, and then it takes me a while to get to the, you know, the topic yeah. that was actually mentioned yeah. in the title. But one of the things I find most interesting about your voice yeah. uh, is this idea, and I don't have a position on it. Like I told you earlier before we recorded, I just, I don't have time to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I'm leave it up to you and talk to people like you. Oh yeah. But as we've discussed, people are caught up in, you know, are the, did the PCR tests work? Did people die with COVID or of COVID? There's still a very wide belief, the lab leak, you know, um, gain of function. We're still in the conversation considering uh, the assumption that there are viruses in the world that can be spread from one person to another that can cause diseases and in some cases kill you. Mm. And your perspective and the perspective of many other people with whom you share this opinion is that you don't accept that assumption at all. Yeah. And and this could broadly be stated, um, you know, the conversation, the paradigm we're going into as those that believe in terrain theory versus germ theory. Mm -hmm. And I, I talked a little bit about this with Kelly Brogan on her last interview, but I've not really covered this just because I'm so ignorant about it. I don't even know how to form a conversation around it. But when I hear you talk about it, it's very compelling. So mm -hmm. I want to just you know encourage people listening, have an open mind and a beginner's mind, and you don't have to agree with Alex's uh, you know, perspective on this. But I don't know that I agree with it or disagree with it, but it's very interesting to me. And I would say, if anything, it's like when I think about uh, the moon landing, it only takes me looking into that for about a half an hour. I'm like, that shit was fake. Uh -huh. So how many other things have I been led to believe that are not true? Yeah. How was I educated? I was educated by the Rockefeller school system yeah. that this whole machine, this whole apparatus that we've seen in the past three years is a part of. Mm -hmm. So who am I to think, well, all of the scientists could be wrong. All of the astronomers, what are all the astronomers and all, you know, all the experts in space, are they all wrong about the moon landing? 
Yeah, and maybe they're not bad people, but they've been indoctrinated into a false belief system. Absolutely. So, you know, if the moon landing is fake and people listening are probably think I'm crazy, do some research. It'll take, <laughs> probably take you about... Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, man. I you mean, know, it's like, one of the dude. biggest ones. Or Buzz Aldrin recently, like, literally saying we didn't when he's just talking to that little yeah, kid. You saw yeah. that clip? Yeah. He's like, we didn't go. I mean, the whole thing, it's just like... Once you get past a certain level of the veil, it becomes so farcical. I mean, on that one, it's just like, are you fucking kidding yeah. me? How did anyone fall for this? These yeah. little spacecraft freaking made of- Nixon's on a, on a like landline phone talking to someone on a moon, like <laughs> on the moon, and I can't even get good signal when I'm like in an open city. Like, come on, dude! And the spacecraft made out of like tin foil, and I mean, it's just like, oh my god! I was watching one a couple days ago. <laughs> uh, a guy on Twitter posted a video, and it's like footage of the uh, the supposed moon landing and they're showing like the hatch that they climb in and yeah. out of you know and they're in a in, in the vacuum of space the hatch is made of like it's like one of those things you put in your windshield to block the sun from hitting your dash it's literally like this tinfoil like flimsy thing and he's in the <laughs> vacuum of space climbing in and out of the craft to the moon i mean like dude come on it's it's like i can't believe that people believe it you know what's funny is and i'm willing to be judged as like the crazy guy i'm just like dude that one is so absurd i don't care like judge me all you want because it's just anyway allow me to take a minute to offer you an incredible invitation now the financial systems we've all grown accustomed to using are becoming more volatile than ever and i'm sure i'm not the first one to alert you of this fact I've become increasingly interested in learning how to navigate finances over the past three years, so I've set out to educate myself and, of course, well, share what I learn along the way. The fact is, the more we understand about this shifting economy, the better we can protect and grow our wealth, even in these crazily uncertain times. Fiat currencies, like the USD, are highly unstable, so I'm always looking for alternative ways to save and become more financially secure. And I've dabbled in crypto, and while I think it's promising, precious metals like gold and silver still feel like a more stable currency to me. I like the idea of tangible, real money. Call me old-fashioned. That said, I've always found it a bit daunting to learn the ropes of buying gold and silver. Uh, For some reason, it's just always felt somewhat complicated and overwhelming. And I've had questions like, how does it work? Where and how do you buy it? How do you store it? And so on. Thankfully, these questions and more were answered when I interviewed Dr. Christiane Northrup last year for episode 435 and got hip to what she and her team are up to in this space. Since then, I've been incrementally buying and squirreling away gold and silver, and it turns out it's uh, quite simple if you have a plan and a basic understanding of how it works. So if you want to learn about why our financial system is rigged against us and how to fortify yourself and your financial future, I invite you to join me Friday, June 2nd, as Dr. Christiane Northrup and I host a free webinar on Zoom to talk about real money. We go live at noon central. That's 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, again on June 2nd, 2023. Just visit lukestory.com slash gold and silver to learn more. You guys, this is the time to take our power back from the banks. I mean, I don't trust these things as I see them failing all the time. So this is an opportunity to educate yourself on what's coming and start stacking real money right now. Oh, and heads up, make sure to register even if you can't attend the live online webinar so we can send you the replay afterward for free. 
Again, to get on board, visit lukestory.com slash gold and silver, or just click that link in the show notes and we'll see you live on Zoom on June 2nd, 2023. You know, it's funny, I'm laughing about laughing because the end of COVID, like we're having this experience right now when you do see through the illusion and you like see beyond the veil, right? You see just how absurd, like the moon landing as an example, it's like, oh my God, this is so unbelievably absurd. I had the same experience when recording the session on virus isolation for the end of COVID. And like we have one just on virus isolation, one on just the SARS-CoV-2 genome, one just on um, HIV AIDS. We have one just on uh, the PCR test. We, again, we're covering everything. But on the session with with Cowan and Kaufman for virus isolation, when I was interviewing them, I would ask a rhetorical question because it has become rhetorical for me at this point. I can regurgitate this stuff like you, you see me here. I'm not going to bring up anything in front of me and I'm going to just spit off all this stuff. But when I ask these questions, I would literally like mute my mic and turn away and just start crying laughing as I'm asking them because it's like this is so absurd when you really get to the root of virology it is it is absurd that we've been conditioned into this belief and I love it yeah so well let's let's start it off for people that are just totally new to the concept and are like what are you guys talking about give us just a brief overview of the, the history of terrain theory, define it, kind of where it came from, who were the proponents of it yeah. versus germ theory. Yeah. So I, I think this starts way back when in, in the 1800s with Bishop versus Pasteur. And so like the prevailing scientific community has really taken on the, the position of Louis Pasteur and in that there are these infectious microbes that are causing disease from person to person that are being transmitted from person to person, bacteria, fungi, parasites, um, viruses. And it, it turns out, and we get into the details on this, we have a session called uh, Bichamp versus Pasture for the end of COVID, that Pasture was, uh, his science was entirely fraudulent. And Bichamp was actually the one that was was correct. But we, we covered that part in the end of COVID. But so so germ theory essentially says, and this is what underpins all of Western medicine and even a lot of alternative approaches to, to health, um, that there are these microbes being passed from person to person that cause disease. And there's actually, what I've come to understand, two subsets of terrain, the terrain theory side. And one is that if you are of, you know, if you take care of your mind, your body, your health, and you're, you're in good health overall, these microbes won't cause you any issues and if you are you know a toxic person you have toxic thoughts you're eating toxic food you know you're you're exposed to large amounts of environmental toxins you're malnourished then those germs will cause illness in you so that's this is kind of where i where i fall personally i think yeah because i don't get sick yeah you know um i haven't been sick in i had covid no i'm just kidding (laughs) we'll get there (laughs) no but like mid 2020 i had what I would have always just called like the worst flu of my life. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been sick since then. And and I attribute that to, you know, I, I care about my health and do all these things. So I would say like my terrain is in pretty good shape. Knock on wood again. I'm going to knock on wood a lot of times during this conversation. So I, I get that yeah. premise, you know, not that I think I'm impervious to any kind of illness. I have my problems. They just don't happen to be like getting colds and flus mm-hmm. or other diseases or illnesses. Yeah. Yeah, and so so that's where most people fall that are in the alternative health space that are aware of like terrain theory, right? 
And, and to be clear here, germ theory and terrain theory are, are almost like incorrect titles. And I can get into why specifically for, for germ theory, but let's just call it the terrain model. So the deeper elements of the terrain model that I uh, personally you know, believe in or have come to, to understand is that there's actually no proof whatsoever that viruses even exist. And for bacteria, and really this could extend to some other microorganisms too, um, there's no proof that they are the cause of illness. Um, and let's focus on, on viruses first. <laughs> I, I love this. I'm imagining people sitting in their car going, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> Dude. Yeah. I wish I could see like, you know, when you get on a zoom and there's like a hundred people or yeah. whatever, sometimes like I wish see like, your audience. Yeah. Like, I wish I could see like the minute they click play and make it to an hour and 20 minutes or whatever. And like, wait, what? You yeah. know, see the little emoji mind blown sign or they just turn it off and go, these guys are crazy. Yeah. And I hope people don't turn it off cause I'm going to get into the details cause I'm sure like even that statement alone without any proper context viruses don't exist people are like what the fuck is this dude talking about right like this dude wearing a like you know, i wore jordans over here and i have like a hat i'm not wearing a white lab coat i'm not a scientist i don't have any credentials after if you would have just worn a stethoscope around your neck we would have been good to go so next time keep that in mind <laughs> i'll do that for the next one um so that that claim without context sounds nuts but but here's the deal if i were to tell you that SARS-CoV-2 has never been isolated or proven to exist or there it's never been proven that it's a pathogenic disease causing entity or the, the term virus is known as obligate intracellular parasite that consists of a nucleic acid surrounded by a protein coat so RNA or DNA surrounded by a protein shell and they say for this it's a spike protein if i were to tell you that it has never been shown to exist or cause any sort of disease, what you'd likely do is go on Google Scholar, PubMed, and you type in virus isolation, you'd find thousands of studies. You'd pick one of them, or all of them, send them to me and say, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? I, like, I've found thousands of studies saying that the virus has been isolated. They're all peer-reviewed studies. How, who are you to say that it's never been uh, isolated or proven to exist or cause disease? The issue with that, though, is if you read the methods section of that paper, or any virus isolation paper, you will find that the following procedure was done. They take snot from a sick person that they assume contains virus particles. They then add that snot to what's called viral transport medium. And there's different types of viral transport medium, but the most common one from Thermo Fisher has at a minimum inside of it, uh, amphotericin B and gentamicin. Amphotericin B is, uh, I'll, I'll say gentamicin first. Gentamicin is an antibiotic. And gentamicin, if you look it up, it is known to be toxic specifically to kidneys, and we'll get to that in a minute. Amphotericin B is an antimycotic. So it, they're, they're in viral transport medium, and virologists will say that they're in there to keep the sample free of bacteria and fungi. So amphotericin B and gentamicin. But the snot from a sick person that they assume contains a virus is added to viral transport medium, which has amphotericin B, gentamicin, right? They then take that mixture and add it to a monkey kidney cell, typically, which is a Vero E6 or a Vero CCL81 kidney cell coming from an adult green monkey, right? And then they also add what's called fetal bovine serum. They also add more amphotericin B, more gentamicin. They sometimes add trypsin. They'll add Dilbeco's minimal essential medium or Dilbeco's modified eagle medium. They're adding all these substances. And of course, they 
all those substances, according to their procedures, have what they say is a necessity. They're not just like randomly adding these things. And I don't think that all virologists are in on this grand scheme, but this, this method of isolation, this procedure is what they've been taught to isolate viruses, right? So again, assumption that there is a virus particle inside the fluids. They never validate that there's a virus particle or particles present inside the fluids. They assume that they're present. Add them to viral transport medium. Viral transport medium is then added to a monkey kidney cell alongside all of these other substances. The cell breaks down, experiencing what is called a cytopathic effect. They then take that byproduct of the cell broken down, prepare it for electron microscopy, which requires heating, staining, um, being bombarded with electron beams. And then they produce these electron micrograph images. They point to the particles on those images and say, voila, these are viruses. This is what was inside of the fluids of that sick person. This must be what caused them to become ill. This must be what was the cause of the cell experiencing the cytopathic effect. That's nonsense. And is this where we get the cartoon pictures of like the spike protein SARS-CoV-2 virus? No, I mean, like they, you know, how they have pictures of it, which to me look as realistic as the pictures of the moon landing. Yeah, (laughs) those are like the the CGI mock-up cartoons that they create. Um, But if you see like the black and white images of of what looks like something that was found under a microscope, those images, every single one of those images, comes from the procedure that I just described. No virus in history of virology has ever been found directly from the fluids of a sick person, ever. Say that again, because this is an important part here. Without this crazy procedure and all of these antibiotics and chemicals and stuff. In the history of virology, no virus has ever been taken directly from the fluids of a sick person without first adding the fluids that they assume contains the virus to this toxic soup of other substances. Every electron micrograph image you see of a, quote, virus comes as a result of the procedure that I just described, where they're taking snot from a sick person they assume contains a virus, adding it to viral transport medium, adding that mixture to a foreign cell culture, usually a monkey kidney cell, adding more amphotericin B, more gentamicin, adding trypsin, adding Dobeco's modified eagle medium, fetal bovine serum, all these substances. All these substances are added to the cell. The cell breaks down, experiencing what is called the cytopathic effect, They take those fragments, prepare them for electron microscopy, which has a bunch of assumptions in and of itself, produces what's called artifacts, and they point to the particles on those electron micrograph images and say, that's proof of a virus. These are viruses. This is what was inside the fluids of a sick person that they assumed was there, never found inside the fluids of a sick person. They just assumed that this is what must have caused the cell to die. And here's the problem with... I mean, there's several problems, but... <laughs> this is crazy, dude. Here's, here's one of the main problems with that. Again, amphotericin B and gentamicin are known to be cytotoxic to kidneys. Anyone listening to this, you could Google this yourself. Google amphotericin B toxic kidneys as keywords, or Google gentamicin toxic kidneys. And what you will find is amphotericin B is known to be cytotoxic to kidney cells. They're adding amphotericin B to a kidney cell for what they say is to keep the culture sterile and free of fungi. They're adding gentamicin or sometimes geneticin to the culture to keep 
the, the culture sterile and free of bacteria. But the problem is in that assumption, these substances that anyone listening or watching this can Google are known to be cytotoxic to kidney cells. And they're making the assumption that those things, let alone all the other things that are added, have no effect on the culture, except for that it's there to keep it free of bacteria and fungi. They don't know that it's causing the cell, the, the monkey kidney cell to die and experience a cytopathic effect itself. And the problem with this is they'll, you know, we'll say, okay, well, don't, don't they conduct control experiments on this process, right? Like, don't they do the same procedure except for they, you know, maybe take fluid from a healthy person and add to the culture and see if the same thing happens. But in these virology papers, they'll do what's called a mock infected culture some of the times. And in the description, if you read the paper, they just say a mock infected culture was done. But if you, in, in the papers we have found where they've described what happens in the mock infected culture, what they do is they deliver a less amount of amphotericin B, or a less amount of gentamicin, and it's all based on the assumption, right, that, well, we're not adding snot from a sick person to this uh, control experiment, right? So because we're not adding snot from a sick person, there's no need to have as much amphotericin B and gentamicin. So we'll decrease the amount of amphotericin B and gentamicin we put in the... Um, in the control experiment, and then the cytopathic effect does not occur in that control experiment, and they say that's proof that there was a virus in this uh, in the experimental group. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, the problem with this whole procedure now let's talk of it in terms of the scientific method. The scientific method is clear in that it is employed when you have an observed natural phenomenon. In the case of so-called infectious disease, you could say. The observed natural phenomenon is multiple people getting sick in the same space with similar symptoms, maybe multiple people getting sick in the same space with a cough, right? So then you come up with a hypothesis for that observed natural phenomenon. This hy hypothesis could be, I think there is an infectious particle that is being passed between these people that is the cause of this observed natural phenomenon, right? Like pretty, pretty simple. We learned this all in grade school. Um, but the problem with that is in order to proceed with experimentation to test your hypothesis. Again, in this case, your hypothesis is, I think this particle is the cause of this disease, this observed natural phenomenon that I'm witnessing. In order to proceed, you have to have the thing you think is the cause of the observed natural phenomenon in order to proceed with experimentation. What virologists do is they assume that their independent variable is inside the fluids of a sick person. They then take that and add it to a bunch of other confounding variables, amphotericin, B, gentamicin, et cetera, et cetera. And they proceed with experimentation before ever validating that they even have the independent variable, the alleged cause, the most important part of the experiment, the thing you think is producing the effect. They just proceed with experimentation without ever validating that they ever have the virus in the first place. And when you call them on this, which myself, Cowan, Kaufman, all these other people do this constantly, they'll come up with a number of excuses for why they can't take a virus directly from the fluids of a sick person. I want to reiterate this one more time because I know it's mind-blowing for people. Every image of a virus you have ever seen, ever, all those electron micrograph images or light microscope images of a cell experiencing cell death, come from the experiment that I just described. No virus in history has ever been 
shown to exist directly inside the fluids of a sick person where they allegedly exist. That's crazy. Yeah. What's really strange about that, and yeah, I'm not that scientifically minded, so I'm doing my best to hang on here, but we were led to believe in the past three years that uh, our breath, objects that we touch, you know, all just the virus is everywhere, and it's so powerful that it'll get in your body and give you this thing called COVID. Right. Yet, if this virus is so robust, then why does it have to go through all of these procedures even just to be proven to exist and documented? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That would be the logical question. Right? I mean, couldn't you, like, I have COVID and I cough on this railing and then you just take a swab and put it under a microscope and you see well there's the virus yeah. <laughs> right if it's that Correct. if it's that virile and survivable then why is it why do you have to jump through all of these hoops in order to actually observe it and identify it you just teed up the perfect question and i love that you naturally came to that question because that should be the question that you would ask when you learn this stuff and that's what i started asking right like why can't you, and this is what I was actually going to discuss next, why can't you take the virus directly from the fluids of a sick person if you say that it's there, if it's this pathogenic thing and, you know, there's people, there, there's articles all over the inter that you, internet that you can find where the scientific community is saying that there's over 200 million virus particles in one sneeze. And it's like, if there's that many of them, why can't you take it directly from the fluids? And here's the excuses that were given. The virus is too weak to isolate or purify directly from the fluids of a sick person. That's literally what virologists will say. And they say that, but then on the other hand, they'll say that a virus travels freely through the air, lands on a surface, survives on a surface for upwards of two to three days, makes it to a body, makes it all the way to a cell, breaks into the cell, hijacks the cell's machinery, and begins a replication process where it overwhelms that person, is excreted out of them, and it repeats the same process <laughs> over. So it's too weak to isolate and purify directly from the fluids of a sick person where you claim that it is. But then on the other hand, it does all these other things. Or they'll say there's not enough virus particles present to isolate and purify. And we have this technology, centrifugation, um, filtration, in order to do this. And chemists do this all the time. They isolate particles much smaller than viruses all the time. We have the technology to do it, which should lead one to ask, why aren't they doing this with viruses and they come up with all these excuses for why they can't. There's not enough present inside the fluids or it's too weak to isolate or purify directly from the fluids. Um, and the, the other thing that so many people don't realize is we're walking around living this life thinking that it's an accepted fact that disease is passed via the fluids of a sick person, that we know that disease is passed, that there's these microbes that are passed via the fluids of a sick person that cause illness in others. But that's not the case either. And we go into great detail during the end of COVID for this specific thing as well. We have a session called The Proof of Contagion. I'll just share one of the studies because this is one of the most popular ones. And during the height of the Spanish flu, there is a set of experiments done called the Rosenau experiments. They were done by Milton Rosenau on two different quarantine stations. Um, and 100 volunteers from the Navy who are not presently sick with the Spanish flu were exposed via various methods to fluids from a sick person for, or from fluids uh, from people who are sick with the Spanish flu. What that looked like is they took swabs from the back of the throats of Spanish flu patients and swabbed the back of these healthy people's throats. They took infected blood, injected it directly into these these healthy patients. They had several of them had uh, like the, you know, mucus from sick people sprayed into their mouth and then in their nose. 
Others were taken directly into a Spanish flu ward where they shook hands with multiple people. They had them talk at close range. They had them talk, literally cough in their mouth. And the end result of this experiment done on 100 people were, was that zero of them became ill. What? None. And this is real, documented, this is a real documented searchable. Experiment. Yeah. Okay, this is getting interesting. Yeah. And there, I mean, it's these presumptions that we have, myself included. I mean, you're just taught from the moment you can understand your native language that this is how it works. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like you're a little kid. You go to school. Oh, one kid was sick. Then all the rest of the kids are sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? We're, chicken we're pox, like everything. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a session on chicken pox too, actually. But um, yeah, so when I say we're covering everything, it's literally like everything. But, but the point is on this when it comes to so-called infectious diseases is we're walking around thinking that we know that disease is passed via the fluids of a sick person. But in that session for the end of COVID, proof of contagion, we document several studies that have been done showing that disease is absolutely not passed from person to person via the fluids of a sick person, right? Most of us that are into health now realize that it's really important that we watch what we're eating and we're drinking, right? But I think a lot of people still don't realize how important it is to be mindful about the things you put on your body, not just in your body. So I'm talking about the lotions, the skincare products, personal care products, et cetera. That stuff goes right into the pores of your skin, and it doesn't have the opportunity to go through your liver and your detox organs to get removed. It goes into your bloodstream. little random secret here. This is why Jimi Hendrix is said to have put LSD in his headband at Woodstock, because it goes right in your skin and he trip balls. Anyway, I digress. My friend Andy, who's been on the show a couple of times, you can go back and listen to episode 18, created this company a few years ago called Alatura Naturals. And Andy, I mean, if I could ever met anyone that's on my level of obsession with quality, he might even have me beat. He is completely obsessed with sourcing the best ingredients. You could literally eat his products. I mean, I, I don't know if you would want to eat some lotion or a clay mask, but you could and it wouldn't hurt you. Because um, here's the deal, your skin actually does eat anything that you put on it. That's what I really want you guys to understand. So his ingredient decks are just nuts. Uh, my personal favorites are the night cream. I mean, I ration that stuff out like just a tiny little bit every night because I'm so afraid I'm gonna run out of it. It's so awesome. The clay mask, his face lotion. This is what I use for anti-aging, brighten complexion, detoxification of my skin, removal of blemishes, hydrating the skin like crazy and making it possible for me to be a beast with sun exposure. I don't know. I think for creeping on 50, my skin looks pretty good, and um, it's definitely largely due to Alatura Naturals products, which you can find at alaturanaturals.com. If you use the code LIFESTYLIST, you're going to save yourself 20% and get free shipping in the U.S. That's alaturanaturals.com, and the code is LIFESTYLIST. So how do we how do we explain? And a lot of people with kids, like you have kids, I think they're a bit older, but the the phenomenon of okay, there's a there's a family of four, two two babies, two young kids, two parents. Uh, the kid, no one's sick. The kid goes to school. There's a bunch of kids at school that are sick. Kid comes home, and then the whole family now has a cold. Yeah, yeah. If so, that's not scientifically provable, what the what is happening? Yeah, and and so that's that's the thing that we need to be comfortable with. First off, I, I want to comment on specifically what I was talking about with respect to the independent variable and all that stuff. Essentially, and we have a whole session on this called the science and logic of virology, where we go into all the logical fallacies that are 
used to to help virology maintain its status among society, but then also show that virology is by definition pseudoscience because in order to be scientific, that means you adhere to the scientific method. Virology has no properly identified independent variable, meaning their alleged cause, their presumed cause, the thing they think is causing disease in other people, uh, is producing this observed phenomenon. They have never shown it to exist in its natural state. They assume that it's there and add it to all these things like I shared earlier. Right. So by definition, virology is pseudoscience. They don't conduct proper control experiments. But when it comes to making an assertion about something, we have to be careful because Virology is claiming to be scientific, which is why we can point to them and say, you're pseudoscience because you're making a scientific claim, but you're not adhering to the scientific method. Therefore, that is pseudoscientific. When it comes to the phenomenon of two or more people getting sick in the same space, we can you know, come up with our own hypotheses on what's causing them. But of course, we need to test those hypotheses according to the scientific method, in order to say that this is what is the cause of that phenomenon. And the problem is there are so many factors at play, and this is what I was kind of sharing earlier when it comes to the 5G thing, is that people who come to understand that virology is pseudoscience will then say, oh, it must be 5G that is causing this phenomenon. But ultimately, because we are all so unique and we all have multiple inputs and outputs in our daily lives, um, in rare cases, can we say that one single thing is the cause of another single thing? So there are so many factors at play, but some ideas you've had Beta Austin on your show, knowing, and you're really interested in water, knowing that our cells are likely comprised of fourth phase water and knowing by Veda's work and the work of Gilbert Ling and Gerald Polk and other people, that fourth phase water is almost like a receptor for, for information. It can hold memory, it can retain memory, it can reflect back to us our environment, it can receive information. Is it that far-fetched to say that when my body, which is comprised of this fourth phase water, is undergoing a detoxification protocol, that it will communicate to bodies around me who may need to go through a detoxification protocol, and if they do need to, they go through it as well. And if they don't need to, then they don't go through it. And that could possibly look like what we call people who have immunity already, right? like our concept of immunity. That's interesting. And again, yeah. it, you know, hasn't been subjected to the of, true of scientific course. method, right? But think about, um, you know, women who spend time together and their cycles sink and exactly. phenomenon like this. It's like this hive, hive reaction yeah. that different species have when they're around one another. Absolutely. I mean, it's not, I mean, it doesn't sound any more crazy than what you just described, Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but again, you know, it needs to be vetted, but that, that takes me to, and I think people way earlier in this conversation, when we were alluding to like, it's quite likely perhaps that there never was a thing called COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not over because it never was. Yeah. Of course, there are people going, well, I know this person that got it. I tested for it, I, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And you know, I'll just say sincere respect and reverence sure. to anyone who has lost anyone for any reason, mm -hmm. whether you believe it to be COVID or not, and anyone that is ill or has been ill, I, I'm never making light of the human experience, right? Mm -hmm. As I said a couple of years ago, I was super sick. It sucked. I mean, I wouldn't wish that upon, well, I don't have enemies, but if I did, I wouldn't wish the, it upon them, not even Bill Gates. Yeah. Maybe on a bad day. <laughs> Taste of his own medicine, damn it. <laughs> Literally. But in thinking, you know, when I've kind of 
questioned this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well, the PCR test we know is bogus now. Mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully people understand. The guy that invented it said you can't use it to test for viruses. I mean, then he mysteriously disappeared. That's another conversation. Mm -hmm. But the big elephant in the room is like, okay, why were all these people sick? First thing I notice is, uh, based on statistics, official statistics from the CDC, the flu magically disappeared. Mm -hmm. If you look at a graph of what the flu does every year in our population, um, you know, it it comes and goes, and there are seasons where it comes, and magically for two and a half years, it completely, it was completely eradicated, and there were all these COVID cases, in quotes. So that's like a pretty big clue that something has been rebranded, right, Mm -hmm. for the convenience of the control and uh, we'll say that's viral interference which okay okay. all right but if you ask me like well why are people sick um and i've heard you talk about this emf radiation toxins in the water toxins in the food unhealed trauma i mean i've heard you rattle off a list like just zoom out where we are now as a species and just take it back a couple thousand years Mm -hmm. right i mean you probably didn't have to go that far but if you go pre-agriculture, then mm-hmm. people are pretty damn robust. But let's just say like post-agricultural revolution, um, after the industrialization of our food with the advent of indoor electricity, you know, there's been all these kind of touch points in, in our living environments and the environment outside the home, the things we put in our bodies. Like, what do humans do now that doesn't make you sick? That's what I want to yeah, know. Seriously. Right? The, the assault on our biology is, is multifaceted. It is nonstop. And it takes being someone like me that spends, like, so much time and energy to just be normal. Yeah. And, I, you know, people look at me and my lifestyle as being very extreme. I'm just trying to get to baseline. Yeah. Right? Because of all the things working against us. Mm-hmm. So... Why did those people end up in the hospital on ventilators and and you know counted as a uh, dying from COVID? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's the way we're living, right? Yeah. And it was framed in a way that uh, was easy to pin on the supposed virus. What what's your take? What would you say to someone who's like someone I loved died or was ill, and I believe it was COVID? I would first say I'm I'm sorry that that happened. Of course, like like death is something serious and of course when it's a family member that's really tough to deal with especially when it's something like this and especially so for someone who is more alternative leaning that's listening to this it's like yeah i acknowledge that the the shots are probably harmful but like there was something going on here dude like you can't possibly say that there wasn't anything going on but the problem with this and i'm going to use an analogy and this may seem childlike but it all you'll see how it relates is that You know, from the time I'm a young kid, I'm told that Santa Claus exists, right? And multiple things in my environment reify the existence of Santa Claus. The presence under the tree, the piece of beard found in the fireplace on Christmas morning, the half-eaten cookies and milk found that, you know, on Christmas morning, the, the reindeer tracks in my front yard, the Santa Claus sleigh tracking app that I have on my phone, or I watch CNN or Fox News, and they're following Santa's trajectory across the sky, the songs, the decorations, the movies, all of my friends talking about how they're excited about Santa, the fear that I experience when my family says, hey, you're not behaving, Santa's going to bring you coal. Or the joy that I experience when my fan, when my parents are like, hey, you know, you've been a really good kid this year. Santa's going to bring you some extra gifts. All of those things in my environment must mean that Santa Claus is real, right? And of course, the answer to that is no. All of those things 
may fit the model of Santa Claus, but there's other explanations for them. So when it comes to illness, when we're making an assertion that X causes Y, we need to have proof of X and we need to see that X causes Y in order to make that claim. So when someone says, hey, you know, my family member died of COVID, like, okay, what, what is COVID? And you're like, well, it's, it's, you know, they had X, Y, and Z symptoms. I'm like, okay, are any of those symptoms new? And, you know, some people would say loss of taste and smell is a new symptom. It's not a new symptom. There may have been higher prevalence for loss of taste and smell, but it's not a new symptom. If you look at archived Google searches from prior to this whole era, you'd find that one in three people who had the common cold had lost taste and smell. You can chalk that up to prolonged exposure to non-native EMFs. You could chalk that up to zinc deficiency. You could even chalk it up to some psychosomatic uh, phen phenomenon where because that's been put into your mind and you know other people are experiencing it, when you get sick, you experience it too. There's so many other explanations, but I would ask, okay, those symptoms that they experienced, and most people would say that, you know, it, it was like the flu, but it was really bad. I'm like, okay. And, and COVID, right, is carries the connotation that it was caused by SARS-CoV-2, right? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry for the, the deaths that you had, that you experienced. That's really sad. But where is the proof of the alleged cause of COVID? Where is the proof that SARS-CoV-2 exists and causes any disease? And you could take that a step up. Where's the proof that disease is passed via the fluids of a sick person? Because what they use as proof that disease is passed via the fluids of a sick person is studies like this. They'll take a rat that was raised in a lab environment, eating an unnatural diet, not in a community of other rats, right? Under blue light in a Under laboratory. Under blue light in a laboratory, not in a natural environment, not eating a diet rats are supposed to eat, probably subject to other experiments in an intense perpetual state of fight or flight. They'll then take unfiltered fluid from a sick person and just pump it in its stomach. The rat will get sick. Sometimes the rat will die and they'll say, voila, that's proof of contagion. Any of the studies that have been done naturally, according to what they say, how they say disease is passed, they say that it's passed via the fluids of a sick person, via coughing, sneezing, and things like this. Any studies attempting to replicate that have shown the exact opposite. And another study that we highlighted is a study that was done where they did do a control. They injected people with saline more people became sick in the control experiment being injected with the saline placebo than those that were injected with the fluids from a sick person. So again, I have, you know, I, I feel for the people who say they have a loved one that died of COVID, but where is the proof that it was caused by a virus? I'm not denying that people get sick. People get sick all the time. People die and it's really a traumatic thing, but there's no proof that it was caused by a virus. And then I go back to those statistics. 75% of COVID deaths were in people age 65 and up. 50% of COVID deaths were in people age 75 and up. 95% of deaths had an average of four comorbidities, like I shared earlier. 79% of hospitalizations were in overweight or obese people. And again, this is the biggest one to me. We cannot discount the, the level at which even those of us in the alternative community were subject to perpetual fear. I'm sure you experienced at some point. I did too. I mean, like think back to the time where you were like wiping down everything. Like you were, there's a lot of uncertainty and fear going around. And even when we started to wake up, we were then fearful of tyranny at some points, right? Oh, um, dude, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I happened to look at my, my aura scores for my HRV and my mm -hmm. sleep and my like readiness score, right? Mm -hmm. Heart rate while you're sleeping and stuff. And you can look at it from yesterday, a week, a month, or by the year. And I looked at it to this morning actually 
And I think it was my readiness score, because mm -hmm. today it was a little low, but I slept like nine and a half hours and crushed my sleep last night, but I was a little low oxygen. Maybe I was mouth breathing or something, who knows what. Anyway, I was like, oh, let me look at the year thing. Dude, beginning of 2020, my readiness score tanks. Beginning of 23 goes back up to where it was in 19. Three years. Crazy. And you're someone who's conscious and aware of that. Think of the people who are alternative leaning, who aren't even aware of the, dude, I have moments of that too, where like I notice my shoulders go up and I'm like, oh my God, I need to chill out, right? And that's why for me, Qigong in the morning, I have to do that if I'm gonna have a good day, I have to. I have to do Qigong to really like reset and come back to being centered. But so many people have that low level of flight or fight or flight that's constantly in the background. And a lot of people, again, even in the alternative truth or community, have it at a heightened level basically all the time. And again, the second strongest risk factor for death of, with, for a COVID death was fear slash anxiety related disorders. So that implies those are people who had already had a diagnosed fear slash anxiety related disorder, not even counting the number of people who are simply just in a perpetual state of fight or flight, wound up in the hospital being put on remdesivir. I mean, think again, in the alternative space, I'm speaking to that because I'm assuming most of the people that listen to your show are that, for people who had loved ones who died of COVID, they were already fearful of A, a bioweapon virus, even if they believe that most of the data was manipulated and they didn't want to wear a mask and things like this. Or at the least, maybe they didn't subscribe to that. They knew that it was just the flu rebranded. They were so fearful of the hospital protocols, but they're like, fuck, I'm feeling really sick. And maybe, you know, they weren't that healthy of a person or maybe they were pretty healthy and they wound up in the hospital and they were put on these protocols, right? And we have a session called hospital iatrogenesis where this lady carolyn blakeman has documented over 700 cases of let, let's call it what it is hospital homicide like people were just killed like one dude went into the hospital with just hiccups after after having sex with his wife went into the hospital with freaking hiccups dude must have been good sex it must have been good <laughs> sex and unfortunately it was his last one though it's fucked oh, because man. it's like he went in the hospital with hiccups and then was put on the protocols because he quote tested positive for covid Remdesivir, ventilator, and he died. And we have a whole session discussing just that. And that's the point is that the hospital protocols and then the lingering fear, there's so many factors that play here. And ultimately, all of this can be described very well, articulated very well and laid out very clearly, which is what we do at the end of COVID, without there ever being an alleged virus in the first place. And that's what we show very clearly throughout this. We have the first two modules are focused specifically on the narrative surrounding the virus and the details surrounding the virus, going into details on showing that the so-called SARS-CoV-2 genome, the so-called variants, the PCR tests that were developed based on the, the primers that were developed because of the so-called uh, symbol genome. And all of these things can be explained very clearly. And then all of the what if and what about questions after you dissolve the, the belief in virology are also answered as well. And then more importantly, the last three modules for the end of COVID, we go into solutions and even like health solutions based on dissolving this false germ paradigm and even contextualize how, you know, the phenomenon of contagion might work. And of course we put a disclaimer at the beginning of these last <laughs> two modules, like, hey, you know, a lot of these things have not been tested in accordance with the scientific method and further testing needs to be done. But here's a framework of what health might look like, or some framework, some some ways to approach health after the 
false germ paradigm. And it's really beautiful. And I think that it's so important to dissolve the false beliefs surrounding germs because they will weaponize against that against us forever. And what I see happening right now that really this is what propelled me to create the end of COVID. I had the initial idea like a year ago was I saw the gain of function narrative picking up steam. Oh God. And that's, that's still on the monopoly board. It's still on the monopoly board. And right. here's why. And, and so many people in the alternative community are, are latching onto that. And I want you to think about- The lab about, leak theory. Yeah, the lab right, leak okay. theory. And I want you to, th well, and we, we have a session called the gain of function narrative where we go into details on the gain of function experiments to show you exactly what's occurring with that. And it's, again, a bunch of assumptions where they take they take what they're saying is H5N1 virus, which is again just a cell culture, right? Like a, it's all the, all the stuff that's inside that cell culture with the experiment that I described earlier. They inject it into a ferret. They couldn't get the ferret to become sick because of that. So then they take that ferret, kill it, analyze its tissue, and then take uh, some of its like nasal nasal secretions, grind it up, and then inject that into another ferret. They couldn't get that ferret to die, but they got it a little bit sick. And then they go through this process. And when you watch this, you'll see how absurd it is to latch onto the idea of gain of function. And that's all they're doing. And it's all based on assumptions in a lab. But I'll save that for the end of COVID because we go Well, well then this that. is good news then in terms of that category of bioweapon. If that's a psyop, then that's one less thing to worry that's about. That's the whole point, right? right? Yeah. I mean, because I'm still like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe the official story of what COVID was is fake, which seems to be quite clear at this mm -hmm. point. I mean, even prior to having this conversation, but maybe they made it in this lab and it just didn't really succeed in its goal of decimating the population yeah. down to the desired goal of the Illuminati or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But then I'm thinking, well, what if they do it better next time? You yeah. know? I mean, personally, I think the real bioweapon is up in the sky oh, every, yeah, every no. day. Like I think so, too. We're breathing the bioweapon. But it's good to know that the bioweapons of the viral you know, yeah. nature it might just be a boogeyman. Well, and that's, that's the whole point is that, like I said, this is what propelled me to create the end of COVID. Again, covering everything, but what propelled me to create it was I saw the alternative community latching on to the idea of gain-of-function viruses. And it was so clever in the way that I think that they did it in that, remember, speaking back to the beginning of this conversation, when I was following this in December of 2019, what I initially saw being shared all over Reddit was people talking about a so-called bioweapon that leaked from a lab. And then right after that, what do we see? The propaganda that's now very clear that it's propaganda of people dropping dead in the streets, right, in China. And then there was a few mainstream articles talking about the importance of, of no longer allowing gain-of-function experiments or the, the possibility of a virus leaking from a lab. There were, and we document that during the end of COVID too, where there, at the beginning of 2020, there were multiple mainstream news outlets talking about sort of inserting the idea of gain-of-function. And then what happened, right? Wow, dude. Yeah. Then what happened? So the gain of function thing was the seed of the psyop in the beginning. Exactly. Wow. Because think of the effect. God, they're that, so good. Dude, they're so good. Think of the God, effect. God, I wish that. they were just more dumb. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. the apparatus, whatever you want to call it, uh, 
God, they're really, they're good. They understand human psychology yeah. so yeah. well, man. They understand it so well. And think of that, right? So like that happened to me initially. Thank God I found the work of Cal and Kaufman and began reading the virus isolation papers myself and began sort of wrapping my head around the cognitive dissonance. Well, what about this? What about that? What causes this? All these things. But had I not done that, I would have stuck with the gain of function thing because that's what I saw initially. And it inserted that idea into the minds of most people. And even for those people who, did not, or who who went along with the entire narrative. It was still probably lingering in the back of their mind, like, shit, there's a lot of people talking about how this might be a gain-of-function virus. I'm a little bit more scared of this now because this could be a man-made thing in a lab that does God knows what down the line. There's that lingering level of fear. And remember how big fear played into this, right? And then what happened? That narrative that was in the mainstream initially was suppressed was pushed away and all these alternative voices that were speaking about it were censored. So it's like, holy shit, it is true. They're covering it up. This must be the right, truth, right? Right, because if you talked about the gain of function, the lab leak, you'd get shut down and censored. Exactly. Therefore, ooh, that's the information they don't want us to know. But exactly. if you go deeper into the PSYOP, that was the first information they let out. They squashed it, Yeah. right? Yeah. And then waited till it was, quotes, safe to start letting people talk about it again yeah. because now it has been... Well, now we're revealing the truth. Now we're finally letting the truth out. Remember the FBI a couple months ago, like, yeah, we've come to the conclusion that this virus likely came from a lab. And it's like, oh my God, now all these alternative voices that were censored are being vindicated. Finally, the truth is coming out. We We know all there is to know about COVID, but here's the problem with that. I'll ask, I'll pose this question to you. What sounds scarier for the future? The idea that a one in a gazillion off chance that a virus jumps from a bat to a pangolin to a lady eating bat soup or whatever the fuck the story is that happens in one in a gazillion chance naturally. It's right? like a bad comic book yeah. script. Yeah, exactly. Or or the other side of that, that there are a bunch of nefarious people who have taken this naturally occurring thing and weaponized it in a lab and it's shrouded in mystery and secrecy and there's a bunch of funding and there's a dark group of people that are doing this and God knows what they'll create for the future. Which one carries more fear? The latter by far. The latter by far. And again, both of them are completely unproven and all this can be explained via other ways. And that's the whole point is we can dissolve fear surrounding the entirety of it. But what's happening is as the mainstream position loses steam, right? Because who the fuck could possibly believe it at this point? There's so many people that, you know, know in the back of their mind, and even though they won't admit it because they're too prideful, like, yeah, I believe that shit and like something's clearly wrong here. At the least, just a little bit something's wrong. The mainstream position is losing its steam and I think it's intentional. People are now latching on to the prevailing alternative narrative and that's becoming like the new hip thing to believe in, the based thing to be a part of, right? That's what I'm sure <laughs> that term around, right? So people are latching on to that prevailing alternative narrative now, and that actually has scarier implications for the future, believing the, in the idea of gain-of-function lab-made viruses, when wow. the reality is neither of those narratives have ever been proven scientifically or logically. Wow, dude. This is crazy. I knew we were going to have fun. This is really fun and terrifying. <laughs> uh, okay. I had a question that uh, was percolating to the top of my brain there. Um, let me see if I can articulate this. So 
okay, it's it's like the moon landing. All of these experts in space, these uh, theoretical physicists, these um, astrologers, astronomers, like anyone that knows anything about space, how come the vast majority of them aren't refuting the obviously fake moon landing mm -hmm. and take that kind of model? I mean, I'm just thinking about the thousands, if not tens of thousands of people that believe in virology yeah. that you propose to debunk because they have not followed the scientific method. I, these are all, I'm sure, brilliant people that intellectually could run circles around either of us. No offense to you, but I mean, these are smart, smart people sure. okay, that have studied for years and years and years. And we're just kind of, you know, for the sake of this conversation, making the argument that they're great, well-intentioned people, many of them, they're very intelligent, but because they're on the monopoly board and they've been indoctrinated into a certain number of assumptions that their whole field is just kind of inherently corrupt because it's following that model. This is tricky when you're looking at, you know, the heroes of the kind of health freedom movement, you know, uh, Kennedy and Malone and McCullough and these mm -hmm. people that were like, yeah, finally these guys are getting a voice and Rand Paul in Congress busting on, uh, on Fauci. Uh, Fauci. And, you know, then you put a meme with the Snoop Dogg music and the glasses. Yeah. We're like, yeah, we're winning. It's like this, this false hope that we're getting somewhere and we're making progress and that things are being exposed. And it's like, I, I mean, I've interviewed, um, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. Great guy. Like, yeah. I think he is, I believe he has integrity. I believe he's a truthful, honest, integrous man and also a highly intelligent man and a guy that's been in the on the legal side of um, fighting for human rights for a very long time. And it's like, I just don't understand why he wouldn't be like, hey, who's this Alec kid? He sounds crazy, but let, let me, like, do they- Well, not even me, like Dr. Cowan or Dr. Right, Kaufman. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, but did, did these guys know, and I think they're doing a lot of good too, even if they're maybe misguided on some of this. I mean, do they know this and they just don't want to put their necks out on the chopping block or are they, are they too afraid to consider? Or they just, they don't want to get involved in the conversation because it's so far out of the- commonly held belief system that it would discredit the rest of the good work that they're doing and the rest of their message. Yeah, that's, dude, that's a question that I've asked myself quite a bit. Why are they blocking you on Twitter when you ask them this question, you know? Yeah, it's speaking, like, speaking about Robert Malone there, when I, like, because I saw that. That's the thing is he made a claim that those carrying the no virus position are disinformation agents. He said that a few months ago and I was like, okay, I'll let that slide, whatever. Who cares what he's saying? But then he said, Yes, the virus has been isolated 10,000 times. Of course it has. Quit the nonsense. And I simply replied and I said, Robert, I would love to interview you about this. Come on my show. And he said, no need. You should go to the source. And I said, Robert, you made the claim. You made the claim that the virus has been isolated 10,000 times. Are you ready to defend that on my show? And then he blocked me. <laughs> and, and again, what's awesome oh, for the end of COVID, we took that paper that he was referring to as our example for the virus isolation session and dissect that paper and show why it's complete nonsense what he's saying. Wow. So we'll, we'll save that for the end of COVID. But when it comes to Robert Malone, I, I will say publicly, I like, I don't, I don't care. I'm very skeptical of that guy. I mean, he worked with DARPA. He was endorsing another COVID vaccine. And of course it could be conditioning that is leading them to still be. The, and I think that's the case for the overwhelming majority of people. But 
I've had some other interactions with him and the way he responds and the way he acts and the way he just blocked me while he's the one calling us disinformation agents. I'm like, let's talk about it. And then he blocks me. It's a little weird. And then the DARPA thing, the CIA thing, endorsing the creation of an alternative COVID vaccine, a lot of other stuff. But with RFK and Dell. Oh, Dell, he, he's another one. Yeah. I mean, he's one of my, he's the first guy I ever interviewed yeah. about vaccines. And yeah. I mean, he lives here in town and I've run into him. We're friendly, you know? Yeah, dude. And, and I want to say this, like they were instrumental RFK and Dell in my initial awakening journey surrounding vaccines, right? They were instrumental. I want to say that up front. I did write an open letter to them on my Substack roughly four months ago now. And this, this letter has like 40,000 plus views at this point. And it was inviting them to have this conversation, essentially, like inviting them to have this conversation to broach this topic on their platforms. Because this is what I was kind of loosely referring to earlier. If you are an organization, ICANN or Children's Health Defense, that is charged with exposing the corruption in science and covering the truth and all these things that are in their mission statements, right? And you're centered around vaccines and vaccine safety and all these things. The foundation for vaccinology is, is virology. virology. <laughs> right. So oh, this conversation shit. is instrumental. Right. At least the conversation. So one couldn't claim, well, that's not my lane because the vaccines and exactly. virology are inherently in the same lane. Exactly. On the same road, at least. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, both of them have repeatedly said that they want safer vaccines, safer vaccines, but... Again, we don't even need to have a discussion of safer vaccines if the foundational premise for which vaccines are established is completely nonsense itself. And I'm not right. asking them to take a stance on this. I'm just asking that they cover it. And that's the thing is they won't cover it. They still have not covered it. I think with Dell, he had on Andrew Kaufman once like two and a half years ago. And aside from that, he has not covered this topic. But He's gotten on stage. I mean, I spoke at the the Greater Reset here in in Austin Bastrop a few months ago, and Dell spoke two time slots after me. I gave my full presentation with the slides on this topic. It's called Reframing the Infectious Disease Paradigm, and Dell got on stage two slots after me, and I could tell he was kind of like, it was it was it, he was talking about my presentation without naming me, and he was like, you know, there's a lot of people talking about germ versus terrain. Here's what I think. I think it's all bullshit. I think if you're well and in mind and body and spirit, you, uh, you can't catch any disease. And I'm like, great. I agree with that, Dill. Totally agree. But then the problem is, why are you continually pumping this fear-inducing gain-of-function narrative on your platform, absent of even covering a little bit the side that says, wait a minute, there might not be any need to be fearful of any so-called microbe or any so-called virus at all? Isn't it a little weird that you're That's saying that on stage, but then on your platform? I'm going to text Dell fear. and be like, you got to come back on the show. And I want to talk about this. <laughs> Have you guys on here, you know? Yeah, I would I mean, love to thing. sit it's down like, and talk with them. It's like with all of these these leaders and you know that have emerged in the past three years, and many of them, like Dell, were doing their work before, but kind of sounding the alarm on something's off here. It's like everyone's on the same team going for the same goal, mm -hmm. which is health. Freedom from tyranny and health. Yeah, health. Yeah health freedom mm -hmm. uh i mean i don't know it seems strange to me that people don't want to have the conversation i mean maybe it's just like the paradigm is just too established and even if someone has suspicions that ah, there's kind of holes in this they haven't followed the scientific 
you know, um, scientific method, scientific method yeah. that, well, let's at least talk about it, but maybe it's just like, oh man, it's just too much, you yeah. know, like this, this Alex Zek kids coming up in my feed, <laughs> blowing up my DMs, you know, it's like, it's just too much. I just can't deal with it, which honestly for me, you know, it's why I want to have this conversation with you. I've been aware of your work and others mm -hmm. that you've, that you've mentioned and, and, um, I have a peripheral awareness of like the germ theory, terrain theory thing. I'm just like too busy. I'm like, I got other fish to fry. I got other For battles sure. to fight. And so it's just like, ah, oh God, I, I don't know if I have the time to devote to just removing myself from a completely ingrained belief system. This, I mean, this is a very timely thing. Like I'm down there using my ozone machine thinking I'm getting rid of the microbes. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm still in that. So it's like, well, I don't even know if I want to learn that that's not even a thing. Well, you know it's, I mean, you could you could reframe some of these common things in a completely different way and be like, okay, I'm not getting rid of the microbes. Maybe I'm helping maintain the the health of the uh, my cellular structure or something. Like you could, you yeah. Could I mean, well, you know, speaking of ozone, there are a number of other benefits, but that yeah. that's one that is commonly believed. You know, on contact, ozone uh, neutralizes all pathogens. I mean, yeah. I tell people that all the time. Yeah, because I believe in pathogens because I've been taught to believe in them. Yeah, and and it's tough because um, th this is timely for two reasons. One is you're talking about how like you haven't really had this conversation on your platform that much yet, and it's like. I, I literally just shared this on Twitter and Facebook and elsewhere yesterday is that I acknowledge that there are people like you who are doing great work to lead people to true health principles without even covering this topic. And you are in no way required to broach this topic. In my mind, this is my personal opinion, where I make an exception on that is that if you have a mission statement that is specifically focused on vaccines and and covering the corruption in science etc cetera, etc cetera, like i shared earlier then i think you have an obligation to at least cover this topic and you know and, it's, and it, not even agree with it not even agree with it but just, just to it. open the conversation just cover it. i think that's fair yeah i think it's totally fair right and um it's it's interesting because you know people are like okay well you, you know here's this guy in a hat that's talking about this you know we talked about the stethoscope thing earlier but it's not just me. You look at the organization Weston A. Price, which is a really big organization that so many people know, Weston A. Price Foundation, and Dr. Cowan's on their board, and several other people that I know at the least behind the scenes know the truth about virology. I mean, they have several people on their board or that are part of the organization, Sally Fon Morell, Hilda, Dr. Tom Cowan, Leslie Manukian, who know that viruses have never been proven to exist or cause disease and are outspoken about it, and they're professional credentialed people so the excuse that it, oh this is some fringe thing is not right. doesn't hold water. I mean, right. it's this rogue army vet. Yeah, this rogue <laughs> army a hat podcast with no guy. stethoscope. Been deleted from Instagram seven times. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not just me. It's so many other people talking about this. We have, I mean, we feature a lot of them during the end of COVID. Doctor Mark Bailey, Doctor Sam Bailey, Doctor Amanda Vollmer, Doctor Kelly Brogan, Doctor Tom Cowan, Doctor Andy Kaufman, two molecular biologists. Well, I mean, we have people coming from various fields of study that are professional credentialed people who are on this tip and are what's aware. the what's the motivation for keeping this paradigm alive is it the medical industrial complex the pharmaceutical industrial complex that can put in the mind of humanity that we have this enemy called pathogens that cause disease and make us sick Therefore, we have the solution, which is our drugs and our surgery. I mean, is that the underpinning of like why it's 
kept alive? Yeah, I, I think uh, at the tippy top, I would guess that that's the case. I think at the tippy top, people are aware of this, but I think overwhelmingly most doctors, scientists, et cetera, et cetera, have been conditioned into this belief and really believe inside that paradigm. Um, it's just the brave ones who have dissolved their own cognitive dissonance and been willing to go look at these foundational papers and question the foundational premises regarding virology that have come to this conclusion. Um, you know, many of them have had to go against the so-called scientific consist consensus and lose their license and be outcast as like freaks and quacks and pseudoscientific idiots, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they're very brave people and that's how we shift paradigms. It's those brave people who are willing to look at the things that no one else wants to look at. Cause could you imagine being a virologist for what, 30 years or something like that? And I approached you and said, Hey, I think that viruses may not exist or cause any disease. You should probably go back and read your foundational papers. Like, your natural inclination would be, shut the fuck up. Like, who the hell are you, first off? And then second, <laughs> right. like, if you did go read those papers and you're like, oh, man, this is a little shaky. This is kind of weird. What would your natural inclination be? Your whole career is riding on this. You have money involved in this. You've spent your whole life. You formed an identity around this. Would you want to dissolve that belief in your mind? Probably not. But, I mean, we talk about the foundational papers that established this met method of isolation during the end of COVID, and that was John Franklin Enders in 1954. And again, we cover it during the end of COVID. When you read those papers, it's very clear that even he realized the methods by which he, quote, isolated measles virus were a little bit ridiculous. And he's quoted multiple times in his paper as saying such, but somehow this was ushered in as accepted science. But to your point, this underpins virtually all of allopathic medicine, of Western medicine, this idea that there are these invisible boogeyman particles being passed from person to person. <laughs> it's like all of it, man. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. This is a lot to take in. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I knew we were going to have a, a, you know, a mind-expanding conversation, but holy shit, this is a lot. What a ride, dude. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think at this point, for people that haven't had enough of us two and the topics we're talking about, I'll recommend they go to lukestory.com slash end of COVID. Get yourself registered. Watch it for free for a while. Then later on, if you want to keep going, you pay a little bit of money. Uh, I also want to, because I'm not going to cut an outro for this because I got a deadline this afternoon. I just want to uh, let everyone know what's coming up next for the lifestylist. While I look that up, you go ahead and give any other links to your podcast, social media, the ones that you haven't been kicked off of. And let people know where they can learn more yeah. about you. Yeah. Um, I would recommend going to my website, thewayforward.com. And that's uh, spelled the way and then forward is spelled F-W-R-D. So thewayforward.com. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, everywhere else. And that's just The Way Forward with Alex Zek. And uh, I'd say the safest place, although we just shared that it's probably not that safe, is my Telegram channel. I have never been kicked off there, knock on wood. Do you get bots imitating oh you on there? God, oh, my God, dude, all the time. Yeah. I, I'm constantly having Hey, Patriot. <laughs> yeah, hey, Patriot, you want some Bitcoin? Um, uh, is my Telegram channel, though, and that's the way forward for mankind. And I'll just cool. send all those to you. So you okay, dope, notes, dope. Well, thank you so much for taking the drive over here today. I'm so happy that you live nearby in Texas. 
Uh, and I've been wanting to connect with you and meet for a while. We have so many mutual friends and yeah. seem to run in the same circles and have very similar uh, points of view about a number of things. So it's really great to finally meet you. You were much bigger than I thought you were. Dude. Like, I didn't even know you were in the army. I hugged you and I was like, oh, this dude's fucking ripped. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I pictured you being a smaller guy when you walked in. I was like, oh, shit. He's I'm going to cut that up and send it to Ben Tapper, Crystal Teeny, and a bunch of other my friends because every single person, dude, that I meet, yeah. that I've been friends with online, says the exact same thing. I mean, I've only seen you on webcams. You know, maybe yeah. webcams shrink you. It's not like I thought Five you were a pygmy or something. Dude. I just, you're just a bigger guy, you know, didn't expect Six it. Six-two burly boy. Yeah, yeah, right on. Uh, so for those who want to tune in next week that are still with us, we've got number 477 featuring an incredible lady named Connie Zach. And uh, that is all about infrared sauna. So I've got the sunlight and uh, sauna sitting back there. And uh, I've been into sauna therapy for, I don't know, literally since I was a kid. My dad used to take me to these health spas and stuff. So I've done a couple podcasts on sauna therapy, but it's been quite a while and I needed an update. So you guys can tune in uh, next Tuesday for that one. And if there's anything you've ever wondered about saunas in your life, I guarantee we answer it in that episode. And with that, my friend, uh, let's get out of here. Go get something to eat. Thanks, brother. Thanks Thank for you. having me. It's an honor. Thank you, man. Thank you.